0: Lines. Live from the
1: divided states of America, precipitously perched at the edge of this resilient and exploited globe. Welcome to your context lens for the American perspective. In the left corner, I'm your ever vigilant, your indefatigable political analyst, Jamar thomas I'm joined with Reese Everson, Malik Abdul. You guys are listening to Fault Lines on Radio Sputnik. Right on another morning...
2: Thirty-seven degrees on the hump. It's Just a little chip. but it is hump day. It is so hump day. We can't day. complain about that.
1: Yes, that you
3: m- could be in Kenosha, Wisconsin, or you could be in Upper Michigan.
1: Oh, freezing up there, basically.
3: With one foot of snow.
1: Oh, that is rough. <laughs> you know, uh, my um friend of mine in Europe. I mentioned hump day, and she was like, "Why you guys keep saying hump day? That's so vulgar." Like, oh. some people don't quite get the, you know, the effect Over the, the but hump. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, different hump. Right, <laughs> it's not camel. The, not that. The, yeah, the not that no hump. It's camel hump. Right, <laughs> wrong camel. hump. Wrong hump. Uh, but, you know, forgive people for being out the country. Yes. Um, how you guys doing this morning? All good? It's good. Okay. It's good.
2: Just cold. I love it, you know. It's, it, it, it's my type of weather, so I love it. You can throw in a nice cardigan or a yeah. hoodie or something, and you can get I like going. that. Fashionable. Just yeah. Put on a nice cardigan and a hoodie, and going out your
1: business. Meanwhile, fair I've enough.
3: Got on three layers. Right. So <laughs> She's some like some sweatpants, buried some over tight. there.
1: It looks like a burqa or something like that where she just fully Freezing. covered. It's like, can't show anything of herself. Fair enough. God. Fair enough.
2: Let's get the headlines. Let's <laughs> start with some domestic news a U.S. jury surprise, surprise.
1: Denchenko
2: is walking. Surprise, surprise. A U.S. jury has acquitted Russian national Igor Denchenko, finding him not guilty on all four counts of making false statements to the FBI during the Trump-Russia collusion probe. A Sputnik correspondent reported from the courtroom on Tuesday. Remember last Friday, a US federal judge dropped one of five counts against Donchenko, who in November had pled not guilty to the charges of lying to the FBI about his role in the discredited Steele dossier, which alleged collusion between former US President Donald Trump and the Kremlin during the 2016 US presidential election. The Tuesday courtroom decision served as yet another blow to the special counsel, John Durham, who represented the case, the acquittal marks the second case tied to Durham's nearly three and a half year long investigation in which he has lost. The White House announced on Tuesday that President Joe Biden will take additional action to strengthen energy security to address the supply crunch and lower costs. Biden said he was ordering the U.S. Department of Energy to issue a notice of sale for 15 million barrels of crude oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve in December. The last of 180 barrels, 180 million barrels, he began introducing to the oil markets in late March following his announcement of a total boycott of Russian energy exports. I believe Canada is the U.S.'s largest import. However, the White House noted that DOE would be ready to move forward with additional SPR sales this winter if needed due to Russian or other actions disrupting global markets. The White House further noted that it would soon begin the process of refilling their strategic reserve when prices are at or below about 67 through 272 dollars per barrel. In more domestic news, Waterkeeper water Keeper Alliance, a worldwide organization network of environmental organizations fo- focusing on clean water, recently determined that the majority of US waterways were polluted with cancer-like forever chemicals. The agency conducted its analysis of U.S. waterways in May and July of this year, taking 228 samples from 114 different rivers and streams across 34 states and the District of Columbia. Researchers found that 83% of the samples were found to have PFAs at levels that exceed federal limits, with 70% of those water sources detecting the most dangerous kinds of chemicals. P-F-O-S and P-F-O-A. Seems like we need some water infrastructure projects going on here. People were drinking lead water in Michigan.
1: Put that in context. Yeah. Put that in context.
2: U.S. U.S.A. Yeah. (laughs) The United States welcomes Elon Musk's statement that he will continue to fund the Starlight Satellite Internet Service in Ukraine, Assistant Secretary for European European and Eurasian Affairs Karen Dunfried said on Tuesday quoting We have seen Starlink playing great difference for Ukraine providing that internet access and we certainly welcome Elon Musk's comments that SpaceX is willing to continue to fund the provision of Starlink to Ukraine Dunfried told a briefing SpaceX CEO Elon Musk recently requested the Defense Department to help pay for the Starlink services, which are currently provided to Ukraine at a loss to his company. I imagine if it's not happening now, it will happen soon that the federal government will be paying Elon Musk and SpaceX plenty of money. In international news, the Ukraine military told the Russian security forces, Russian security services, that the Kiev regime has formed police detachments for clearing and filtration at territories it intends to occupy. A Russian security service officer told Sputnik. The official also indicated that training at courses that have started are to be carried out according to the standards and methodology of the U.S. armed forces undertaken in Iraq and Afghanistan. Quoting, According to information received from a source in the armed forces of Ukraine, Ukraine's military and political leadership is preparing to regain control over the lost territories, the source said and continuing. Police training for filtration and clearing of territories is carried out in line with U.S. Army standards using methodology materials compiled by the U.S. military. Israeli Israeli Defense Minister Benny Gantz canceled a call with his Ukrainian counterpart Alexei Reznikov without any explanation. Ukrainian Ambassador Israel Yevgen Kornichuk has said, in an interview with local media, the ambassador expressed deep disappointment by Tel Aviv over the move. They did not, however, provide an explanation for the cancellation. Going forward, according to the ambassador, I, do, I don't I do think our defense minister will be in contact with gas. Kornichuk said, Moscow and Ankara have agreed on the creation of a major gas hub, which will enable Europe to use Russian gas flowing through Turkey. Turkish President Erdogan has announced, quoting, right now, Europe is thinking about how to ensure gas supplies in the coming winter, how to ensure gas supplies are coming in the winter. We thank God do not have, that we do not have a problem. Moreover, at our last meeting with Putin, we agreed to create a gas hub in Turkey. As Putin himself has announced, Europe can use Russia Gas, Russian gas through Turkey, Erdogan said at a meeting of the Ruling Justice and Development Party in Parliament on Wednesday. Putin brought up the idea of turning Turkey into a hub for the delivery of Russian national gas at the Russian Energy Week forum last week, saying Moscow could move forward with such plans if European nations only show some interest. Newly surfaced reports have indicated that secret scripts were written by BBC journalists as part of a routine emergency planning in the event that energy shortages prompt rolling blackouts in the coming winter. During a blackout, mobile phone mobile phone networks, traffic lights and internet access would be cut off. According to the scripts seen first by the Guardian, the public will be advised to use car radios or battery-powered receivers to listen to the broadcast, which would be aired on FM and longwave frequency, which used less power. This reminds me of the era when there was nothing but radio. One script warns people against contacting emergency personnel services with this message, quoting, the emergency services are under extreme pressure. People are being advised not to contact them unless absolutely necessary. I'm going to read that again. One script warns people against contacting emergency personnel services with this message. The emergency services are under extreme pressure. People are being advised not to contact them unless absolutely necessary. Don't call the cops. Wow. Unless you really, really need to call the cops. Wow. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> that you can't starts. beat it.
1: The type point of it.
2: <laughs> Man. Jeez. <laughs> in more international news, Russia sees no reason to maintain its current diplomatic presence in Western countries and will force more on board working with other states, Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov said on Tuesday, quoting, There is neither point nor desire to maintain the current presence in Western countries. Our people are working under circumstances which could be hardly considered human. They are faced with constant problems and threatened with physical violence. What is more important is that there is no work to do there since Europe decided to shut us off and stop any economic cooperation." Lavrov said at the meeting with university graduates admitted to Russia's diplomatic service. Moving on, Saudi Arabia is willing to join BRICS. BRICS, South Africa's President S- uh, Cyril Ramaphosa said, stated after meeting with Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salim Salam on Monday. The president, who concluded his state visit to the kingdom, underlined that Saudi Arabia joining BRICS would mean a significant change in the countries that form the bloc the BRICS nations are going to be meeting in a summit next year under the chairmanship of south africa and the matter is going to be under consideration the president said and in on this day in history 1926 russian politburo throws out leon trotsky and his followers in 1943, streptomycin, the first antibi- antibiotic remedy for tuberculosis, is isolated by researchers at Rutgers University in Spiscataway, New Jersey. And in 1987, Black Monday, the stock markets around the world crash, including the Dow Jones Stock Index, which falls 508.32 500 points, 20 2%, which, is four, which was four and a half times the previous daily record. And in 2015, U.S. scientists from the University of California find evidence life on Earth may have begun 4.1 billion years ago, just a bit 300 million earlier than previous thoughts. These are your headlines for October 19th. We're on a Wednesday, Pump Day. You are listening to Fault Lines on Radio Sputnik. All
1: right, let's do this. Let's take a break. We're going to come back. We're going to get the monologue done. I want to talk about some of the stuff that's taking place from a standpoint a public perspective. And that's going back to this Harris poll that I am enamored by, that should be getting all sorts of attention. And if I am Democrat, if I'm in the Biden administration, it is terrifying. You should be Oh, worried. man, you should be terrified. <laughs> um, Winner's coming. That's not just for Europe. That's also for the midterms. You guys are listening to Fault Lines. My name is Jamal Thomas, Reese Everson, Malik Abdul, back in a moment.
0: Fault Lines.
1: Welcome back to Fault Lines on Radio Sputnik. My name is Jamal Thomas. I'm joined with Reese Everson, Malik Abdul, coming to you live out of our station in Washington, D.C. And Danchenko is acquitted. I just acquitted. want to point to that
2: first. Durham, what's happening, bro? And and, and, and be clear, on Friday, which is what um, we reported, yeah. a judge threw a, one, one of, it, one oh, of right. the jury Get yeah. acquitted, acquitted him, him, him right. on the other four. So you have the judge. So and what Ryan. is Durham going to do on this? I mean, he and put out two. what does out, this say too, about his reputation? Yeah. Because Cosman everyone was saying gets that
1: he's convicted. G- yes, gets convicted. I mean, he gets a walk. I mean, walk almost immediately. And now Danchenko, who we thought was screwed,
2: Michael gets Flynn off was on, convicted, even though it wasn't. He yeah,
1: wasn't it was completely on the other know. stuff. Yeah, but I mean, all of this stuff was supposed to be on the Russian stuff. Danchenko was supposed to use these yes. cases potentially to build something else. He gets off. off over now. With the difference between talking versus writing, he's like, "Whoa, it's okay, over fair now. enough, good to know." Oh, very specific. I was writing. I wasn't talking, so I didn't lie. And they
2: said, "Okay, fair enough." Federal government needs to get his word straight. Because you know, you our God, we wanted to pay you a yeah. anyway. well, oh, so, I mean, right. million dollars. Yeah, well, don't steal. They wanted to have steal all that money, right? But still, Danchenko. with that check, he
1: was still getting paid from the federal government up what to twenty twenty.
2: Yeah, he, he was, was on the payroll. Yeah. I think he ended up getting hundreds of thousands of dollars. Oh, you that. need yeah.
1: information on Trump? Uh, uh, let me go to my people. Oh, uh, and we yeah, need him as a, a source. A prostitute peed on the. Oh, he was so angry at Obama that he got a prostitute to pee on the bed. Okay, I understand. Right. Um, here's your check.
2: Danchenko, yeah. thank you very much we're going for to the credible— you, We're going to keep you on the— Right, we're going no, to keep not you on the— Not here's just one check. We're going to keep you on our direct deposit Jeff. list for years.
1: And then think about the ridiculousness of them calling an FBI agent to the stand. And the guy's like, Danchenko was very helpful. And yes. he's like, But and this is the prosecution's own witness. Mm-hmm. The prosecution turns around and attacks the FBI agent its on the stand witness. that they called. Its own witness. What
3: in the— I guess I'm just curious so why Bronsky didn't have to provide like evidence for any of this. Like, well, he said
1: pictures he was a source. would be helpful. He wrote it down. That's when people write stuff down. That's evidence, no, right? I mean, that's pictures. according to what's if, name if, in the if you
3: said that you know you saw the prostitute, well, nobody well, took, was,
1: nobody took a picture yeah.
2: of the prostitute peeing on the bed. So that part had already been disproven. The thing is, is that you know his attorneys, he got into court. You know how it works. You know, attorney. It's got into court and was able to convince not just the judge, yeah, but the jury.
1: No, I'm talking yeah. about
3: the uh, the government that was paying him. Like, oh, oh they need more yeah. evidence.
1: I mean, from that standpoint, I guess it's like, okay, my sources told me that Trump. I had a prostitute pee on Obama's bed because he hated Obama so much. I mean, there's then no pictures of that. Pictures. Unless you try to find the prostitute themselves. I mean that did it. But all things been equal, they're just using this stuff for political fodder. And look, what? like I don't need to be accurate, right? I mean all things been equal I'm looking for political upper. That's like the McCain thing. McCain had a baby by a, by a black woman or a black kid. And people are like, what? Didn't need to be true. Show a right. picture.
3: Show a picture of some a black kid that looks like McCain or something. they
1: did, if I'm not mistaken, they did look at this black kid with the Curly yeah. hair that has John McCain's nose. Keeping, like, that, I mean, they, they would do nothing. stuff
2: like that. So keep in mind, many of the, the because I saw, you know, I'm one of those boring ones who watch all of the, you know, testimony and stuff. Mm-hmm. So in the testimony, the initial hearings on the investigation into the call, yeah. the phone call with Zelensky between Trump yeah. and Zelensky, um, that call, the people who overheard the call, that call was taken on a patio of a restaurant while the person was on speakerphone, apparently, with Donald Trump. Okay. So, to you saying, like, provide photos? Oh, no, because the only thing that people were testifying to, that they overheard a conversation right. based on what other people had told them, based it was in third-person information. Yeah. yeah, But this was part of an impeachment right. hearing. Right, like, they were using the, that. Like-
1: <laughs> now, keep in mind, in the exact same situation where Joe Biden brags, brags on stage that he held a billion dollars. Yeah, yeah. Held over, it up. Yeah. He was like, I held a billion dollars and I told him to fire that prosecutor. Yes. Now, the reality of it is it took months for this to take place. Joe Biden act like it took like, like six hours, like it was a ticking clock over Ukraine. But look, you are the president, or well, at this point, vice president. And you are basically saying, I told them to fire a person in their state government yes. for a billion dollars. And Ukraine, submissive. It did it now
2: how is what trump did impeachable but Biden, not Biden admitted it and according to our military officials even though so the whole you know the whole idea of the trump call was is that he was holding up the um funds to ukraine in order to get information about the how basically the trump and russia stuff so people admitted at the time that the funds were not held up. It, it did not affect— Yeah, the funds went through anyway. Yeah, The funds went through And so they anyway. were like, we're going to impeach Trump for something that, what, he said but never took no place in practice? no one suffered from at yeah. that. Like, yeah. no one suffered from it. But we're—you know, the, the the fact that this these type of things were entered into evidence, we also had, you know, similar thing, the January 6th hearing. They didn't even vet Cassidy Hutchins' no, story. No, they didn't. No, they did About— Trump trying to come in but again the SUV. They but didn't it have was to entered into congressional. I know, but that's just it. They didn't like, care.
3: Well, and no, no, I would I would think that right that the Secret Service agent that he supposedly overpowered <laughs> could <laughs> so,
2: testify to it. Yeah, could they say, didn't call
3: him to testify, yeah. and they haven't
2: called them to the testify. The president and
3: grabbed grabbed me strongly grabbed the and the terrified wheel. me. He tried to yeah. grab the wheel. Okay, and but he where choked choked is he?
2: Another yeah. one. Yeah. like he physically choked. Like Trump just freaked
1: out. <laughs> i just freaked out. He just honked out, just grabbing one by the throat,
2: so pulling him wheel from the other. I love so, this. look at what's happening with Danchenko. This. So, I'm not surprised yeah. that he got off.
1: God, I love this.
2: The president just like a maniac.
1: Grabbing people by the throat, pulling the wheel of a car. He's strong. Like the ability of an 80 year 80 old. That powerful 80 year old man.
4: He's every day. <laughs> That's
2: right. And he's better clothes. than Santa because he can have his shirt off. He yeah. can have his entire. It's like he ripped through
1: his coat <laughs> as he grabbed a man by the throat. I didn't know what to do. I was terrified he was the president.
2: <laughs> and That's you're one great. of the most trained agent in the entire in the world. world. Yeah, right. <laughs> and you're getting
1: right.
3: manhandled by an almost 80 year old. Maybe the thought is. From that. the back seat. Like I wouldn't testify to that. That either. I'd be too It's like
1: he ripped his his coat as he went through this like the incredible hawk His muscles were barging to grab one man by the throat.
3: Almost choked me out. Yeah,
1: and, and grabbed the wheel of the car to pull it away.
3: Yeah, no, I it's like,
1: we the almost the had to tase the president.
3: Yeah, I'm not kidding. They should have just
1: said that. We nearly that. tased the president. That would have made it even that much better. Yeah, that would have been awesome. They was like, yeah, Trump got tased by the Secret Service. Let's go put that in congressional record. Let's just let's just do that.
3: Yeah, but I guess I just I feel like there should be some more substance, and it's it's disturbing that look. We're willing to pay people. I'm just I, more so the history when, of if we're willing to pay people for information, especially at that dollar sum. Look, that's I tell a you this. high amount to have no tangible evidence but that's, with you.
1: But that's the point. The high dollar sum was for you to lose all credibility and to give something just to go after your political opponent. This wasn't about finding real stuff. This mm-hmm. was. Hey, I need hit information on Trump. Right, I need to take the piss out of that guy, yeah. and I need you to give me information for it. Okay, I'll give you information for it. I need it to be credible. Wink, wink. It's going to be credible, and you go and you say, okay, here's all of this information that I've been able to come up with, and it's just stuff. And drunk I'm going ramblings. to convince a FISA judge. Yes, in order to get the thing on what's his name? I can't think of his name. Um, Tony. Wow, what is his name? What is his name? Um, Operation Hurricane that they were using to basically
2: spound Carter Page. Carter Page. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they used that it nonsense yeah. to get a FISA and kept getting the FISA warrant. Well, look, we have seven minutes. I want to hear your... Okay, yeah. I'm uh,
1: sorry. Uh, I was, I'm just amazed by the Danchenko thing. I didn't see that until this morning. I'm just enamored by that. All right. I want to get into the monologue. I want to talk about the Harvard poll the harvard harris poll that recently came out i am enamored by this poll i find this poll to be amazing so harvard harris uh poll this came out a few days ago and i want to get into a few things because i think democrats don't realize how screwed they actually are initially when the abortion thing came on my thought was okay is there enough powder in this gun for these guys to be able to use the abortion thing in order to garner votes meaning is this godsend? Because my thought was, if you didn't get something, this was, you're screwed. And I thought, Republicans, are they going to jump the shark on the abortion? abortion think They jumped the shark on the abortion thing. And so, is that enough? Because that's the only thing they were praying for. I swear, I thought Democrats, Nancy Pelosi, were on her knees and her not cheeky and her, you know, Black Lives Matter post <laughs> praying, praying for them to get rid of abortion. On the day that the Supreme Court did it, I could hear all of these Democrats quietly smiling quietly. They wouldn't say it. They were just glowing because what they knew was they finally had something that they could grab onto, their magical, um, you know, their magical shiny object in order to use the run-on. Well, lo and behold, it wasn't enough, or at the very least, it doesn't seem to be enough, especially with what Biden has basically put the country through from the standpoint of this war in Ukraine and the effects of that war on the American public. It's the economy, stupid. That's always the case. It's the economy, stupid. If you had any question, regardless of anything else, it's the economy, stupid. Right here. Less than a third of voters say the country is on the right track. So you get, what is this? 31% saying, yeah, the country is going great. 63% wrong track. Just a quarter of American voters say the economy is strong. Think about that. 27%. If you ask them, how's the economy going? The economy is going great. The other 66%, the economy sucks. It's going horrible. If you ever want to know, it's the economy stupid. Only a third of Americans believes the economy is strong. Let's keep going. Most Americans say their financial situation is worsening. Most Americans say that the situation that they're dealing with is worse. And what was the old anthem or the old saying? I think it was Ronald Reagan said this. Is your situation better now than it was four years ago? Making the argument that are you better or worse off as a result of the governance to which I have been administrating? Well, the answer is decisively no. 57% say my situation is getting worse. Only 20% say the situation is getting better. Doesn't look good. (laughs) This doesn't look good. 84% of Americans say the recession is now, meaning they're already in one, or there will be one. And that's the other catch. They're looking at you as president, and they're asking you, what are you doing for my well-being and my benefit? What they see you as being so wed to Ukraine, and all of the consequences come from that. Well, they're holding you on some level responsible, despite the fact that this poll, people were like, yeah, pro-Ukraine. That's great. Ukraine is great. I'm going to move to the other part. What does the country believe in? Meaning, what are the issues that are dominating the country? Inflation, the economy, and immigration. Those are the top three: inflation, the economy, immigration. Not abortion. Not abortion. Abortion is not Ukraine. One, 9%. two, three, four, five. Fifth on the list. Fifth on the list. Now, when you ask the public, uh, right here, okay, what are Democratic leaders focused on? January six, women's right. Climate change and guns. Again, what the country is focused on inflation, economy, and jobs. Look kitchen at your kitchen table. Like, kitchen table issues. Mm-hmm. I need money in my pocket. Yep. I need to be able to pay for gas. I need to be able to go and take my girlfriend out on a date. I need okay. to be able to do X and Y. Very, very straightforward. I need to be able to pay my and bills, on the other et
4: cetera.
1: But <laughs> <For> Democrats, <laughs> culture wars, January 6th, women's rights, environmental. The public doesn't care about that stuff at all. We don't care. What do those Republicans believe in? Immigration, inflation, and economy. They hit all three. Ding,
3: ding, ding. Can ding, I throw ding, all ding. three? Can Can Wonder, I throw winner, something in there? Go um, on.
2: Uh, this is a New York Times Siena po- College poll that was released on Monday. Mm-hmm. This is you talking about Democrats should be concerned. I'm just going to read this point. Go a particular it. note was a 32 point swing. Among independent women, wow. towards the GOP. Wow! Oh, that ain't that ain't it. In September's iteration of in September's iteration of the poll, Democrats boasted a fourteen point lead among That's that demographic. That's a forty point swing. But by October, Republicans held an eighteen point. That is advantage. a forty
1: point swing within a month. That's amazing within a month. So the public is like, <laughs> we care about inflation, jobs, and the economy. Republicans hit it on the nose. On the nose. You can Democrats are women in the what? women. Well, um, Democrats are in like the 4th, 5th, and 6th or even the 7th thing. Like, like, like that's a pretty from, huge, That is a massive yeah, switch within a month. Within a month. And so, I think the truth of it is half the country has abortion, the other half doesn't. And then the countries that parts that don't, those people are Democrats anyway. And the people that do, that's Republican states. So you have maybe a group of people that are in Republican states that strongly care about those issues. Mm-hmm. But they're Republican states. Mm-hmm. And so it's like maybe those people may vote for a Democrat, but the Republicans miss still win just because of the majorities. And honestly, when you put it online, look, whether Republicans do anything about this stuff is relevant to the point, right? right. It's what the public thinks and what the public believes the that perception. the parties represent. Yeah. And in this case, this is kind of like when Hillary Clinton was running against Trump. Trump kept talking about the economy. Clinton was talking about Trump.
3: And and let's let's go here. Interestingly enough, in my recollection, initially the Republicans were always on their issues. Yes, um, and you can go back to Donald Trump, which is why the evangelicals loved him. George Bush, which is why the evangelicals loved him. It yeah. was all about their issues that were on were the principles They were things that they wanted to push. That's family, right. Family that were on issues. Oh, they didn't care about
1: family. They just cared about the fact that Donald Trump was going to back their interests once he gets to office. Supreme
3: okay,
2: Court. Fair enough. Yeah. Right. And the Supreme Court. Supreme right. Court.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Supposedly. Though, right? Yeah.
3: And so my point is is that that's fine when that's the most pressing thing that we need. But when you have economic issues and yes. people are paying $7 for gas— you can't still Uh-oh. be on those social issues. Let's get
1: the gas. That's, a,
3: That's a the glad problem. Your, glad the Democrats gas. are still trying to fight, la- the fight from the last election when we've got a whole new battle. And yeah. they're not. A, it's, it's
1: weird. That Biden calls. That Biden calls. Biden's fault. It's Biden's fault. Um, uh, right here. Let's go, Brandon. Most opposed the Biden administration's <laughs> energy and gas policy. So right here. Do you oppose or support the energy policies? Biden, 46 percent oppose. I'm sorry. Support. fifty four percent. Oppose. A majority. Do we need to emphasize lower gas prices and energy independence or gas prices and climate change? What do you think that poll came out to be? How many people do you think want to emphasize lower energy prices and energy dominance or independence? Energy independence a majority? 80%. Oh, wow. An overwhelming 20% majority. Don't. And when you go to climate change, in the other part, climate change was only ranked uh, where, is where, is where is it? Where is it? Climate change was ranked one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Less than 10%. Yeah, eight yeah. percent. Number eight. Oh, eight, number eight. Yeah, eight, eight, eight in the list, 14%. <laughs> but again, that's with the public, where inflation is at 30 meaning the Democrats' main issue that the public sees is ranked eight mm. in the public's agenda. But and when you go into energy stuff, the public is like, we disagree with the president on this. Energy prices are going through the roof. We need to be energy independent. Mind you, Biden's the one to blame for it. Right here. Most say Biden policies are to blame for increased gas prices. 62% find the administration responsible for the cost of gas. How do you live through that? Yeah. And he's basically saying we're going to release more oil from the oil reserves
2: because I'm pretty sure you've seen this poll. You keep going. Well, say nothing. We'll do nothing to lower gas prices. In the immediacy. Nothing. In the immediacy. And, and the- last point before we go.
1: Voters are split on whether the Biden administration policies toward Ukraine is pushing us closer to war or not. And this is when I say these people are idiots. The the, the administration, they are taking provocative action on the issue of Ukraine. And that provocative action, yes, by definition, can lead you closer to a conflict. And the fact that they're even having these conversations in and of itself and the fact that this question is here is somewhat problematic. 48 percent says, yes, he's preventing nuclear war. 52 percent says Biden is pushing us closer to nuclear war. Wow. Think about that. that You're talking about oblivion. He is pushing us closer to oblivion, to midnight. I
3: told you, he's going to be on his way. Fault. Through his own fault. He'll be he on this. his way to meet his maker, and the rest of us will have to deal with the, the fallout, and it's not this fair. I don't fault. think that 70- and 80-year-olds should be running the country, Dude. but... This Here's the other is issue. Shocking. The problem is, is, is that shocking. his response to the economic issues was a token. Yes, he decided to do ten thousand dollars worth of student loan forgiveness, and that was supposed to help the be the rising tide that yeah. lifts the boats of people that are financially struggling. And
1: mind you, that ten thousand is people are still going to be paying. 20,000, 30,000 on top of the 10,000 that he's offered. Mm-hmm. Meaning, even on the best case day, you might have people still paying fifteen, twenty, thirty thousand $30,000 extra. He's like, here's this token thing that is in no way going to stop you from so and so.
3: That's yeah. problematic.
1: Not yeah. reading the room. Well, I mean, look, the public agrees with the 10,000, right?
3: But the the dip, they would have agreed with you getting di- rid of all of it. But, I, and I understand he's president. I get
1: $31 trillion in debt. It's like, okay, I'm going to give 10,000. What have you accomplished with that $31 trillion? I mean, in honest-to-God sense, if you're an American and you're sitting there and you're like, I'm drinking lead water, the infrastructure's falling apart, we don't have high-speed rail, meaning I can't get a train from here to California in a way that you could do it all across Europe, and you're like, $31 trillion in debt, what do we use that money for?
3: I don't understand how the Dems are allowing this to happen, is my Allowing? Allowing. They're backing their guy. (laughs) They're backing their guy. I don't understand. I I really don't. They're backing their guy. I
2: personally think that Biden knows this is going to be overturned. And he's doing it,
1: you know,
3: a little Performatively.
2: bit. Performatively. Yeah. I think he knows that it's going to be over.
1: All right. You guys are listening to Fault Lines. That wasn't a hit. That wasn't a thing. Was just a fascinating conversation. I'm glad we could have. Reese Everson, Mili Abdul We're coming with Mark Simplota. I like to call him Voice of Wisdom and Truth. <laughs> you guys are listening to Fault Lines back in a moment.
0: Fault Lines. lines.
1: Welcome back to Fault Lines on Radio Sputnik. My name is Jamal Thomas. I'm joined with Reese Everson, Malik Abdul, coming to you live out of our station in Washington, D.C. If you guys just so happen to find yourself in the D.C. area, you can catch us on radio at 105.5 FM and 1390 AM. We're also kicking around in Kansas City at 102.9 FM and 104.7 FM. If you guys are digging what we're putting down, whatever platform you're consuming this content on, give us a like, share that audio or video. If you want to join in on the conversation, you can do so with a chat, a tweet, and of course. You can reach us by phone at 202. 521 one, Your engagement helps make this show what it is. Don't be shy. We'll get to you at 930. I'm sorry, 945. So I want to bring in our guests. We have the one and only Mark Sloboda. He's an international relations and security analyst. Mark, what's going on, my man? How you doing this morning? Mark, are you there? Okay, Mark has vanished.
4: Okay, tomorrow. Morning. Oh, there
5: Hell you are. How's yes. <laughs> Mark? He's vanished <laughs> on us. What's going it's on, Carl, man? Tomorrow, Reese Malik. Thanks for having me. It's always an honor and a pleasure to be top on of the football.
1: morning. No, it's always an honor and a pleasure to have you. How you doing this morning, Mark? Everything good.
5: Um, it's middle of the afternoon here. I'm, I'm okay.
1: Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Middle of the, middle. I always tell people hello in the morning and they're like, dude, it's like late time for me. Um, I want to start with Kherson for a moment. It says civilians to be evacuated from Kherson. This is governor. The uh, Russian region will move its citizens away um, from the right bank of the Dnieper river amid the ongoing fighting. Is there a chance that Kherson city itself can be recaptured? Is that why they're doing this?
5: It is a possibility um um i still think it is somewhat unlikely um but um it is certainly within the realm of possibility the Kiev regime has assembled some 60,000 strong military force um they have um been probing the russian defensive lines right which are are still in the Kherson region um and uh, for the past three or four days, uh, they have these, uh, you know, recon in force, if you will, have been pretty soundly smacked. Uh, but 60,000 troops, however, poorly trained, and we're talking a lot of these are territorial defense, which means that they're conscripted civilians with guns put into their hands. Uh, but, uh, you know, Quantity has a quality all of its own, It has been said about military matters. So um, evidently the Russian military forces are not planning to withdraw as they did in northern Kherson. They are attempting to make a stand and they are intending, um, if uh, it becomes necessary to pull back, to uh, um, use a urban defense uh, tactic of, Um, Harrison City, Um, uh, particularly on the right bank of the Dnieper, which is why they are evacuating civilians uh, from uh, uh, Herson, particularly from the right bank at this moment. They're hampered uh, through all these efforts because the bridge um, uh, across the Dnieper River there, uh, the the bridges uh, have been and are repeatedly bombed uh, by the Kiev regime. Um, uh, hampering, of course, not just uh, Russian resupply efforts, uh, but uh, also, uh, you know, evacuation uh, of civilians. Uh, Russia has um, announced that um, it will uh, uh, provide apartments for any of Kherson's inhabitants that want to um, evacuate into uh, Russia proper. Um and uh there are uh, up to two hundred thousand inhabitants still in in Harrison uh at the present time, so it is a significant amount. The new overall uh commander of the Russian intervention force uh force, uh General Sorovikin, uh also uh known uh affectionately by his friends as General Armageddon. Um he has uh stated that um that, that things are tense and that uh, they will do what they have to do but they are set on an urban defense and he also warned that the Kiev regime is planning forbidden acts of warfare
1: forbidden um, acts spe- of warfare, <laughs> <What> <laughs> is warfare that? yeah
5: yeah for yeah um well specifically he noted that they intend to blow up the Kohovka dam i see uh, which would flood the entire region it would make resupply of the other side of the niper uh, nearly well it would make it extremely difficult right because russia is they are constantly rebuilding the bridges uh, re, you know repairing the damage but uh, they're relying a lot on ferries and pontoon bridges at this point and that would make the those extremely uh, probably impossible uh, so there's a big risk there. It would also flood defenses and, and lots of homes and, and, and really incalculable amount of civilian damage. It would put a large part of Herson City itself underwater uh, and probably cause deaths of large numbers of, of civilians. Oh, wow. So they also are almost certainly going to be doing massive shelling of the city. Uh, that has already started to a certain extent. And uh, there continue to be, to be chatter about other things, perhaps uh, involving chemical weapons, as there are reports that units of the Kiev regime forces have been supplied with chemical weapon suits and antidotes, but uh, that's nothing firm. But w- with him bringing that up, it's certainly something that I, I'm going to be parrying, paying close attention to.
1: Let me ask you this, I guess I have several questions that are dealing with what's taking place on the battlefield and what's taking place in Ukraine proper. From the standpoint of Bakhmut, what is the objective there? I mean, have they been making inroads? It seems that the situation there has gotten, I guess, more difficult for the defenders in Ukraine, but am I misreading that?
5: No, 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 absolutely. I I would say that the encirclement of Bakhmut is up to close to 70%. Uh, At this point, I think last time we talked, I said it was about 60% uh so um we've seen another couple settlements and because Bakhmut is essentially a fortress right a the whole city is a fortress at this point um and uh you know there's very few civilians uh, left there and there are some 30 to 40,000 Kiev regime troops hunkered down in there turning every building, uh, every basement, every, everything into a firing point that has to be stormed individually. It's, you know, a very difficult nut to crack. Yeah. And the, one of the best ways to do that, of course, is to cut off supply lines. What? And that's what the encirclement is intended to
1: do. Why do they call this a linchpin to Ukrainian forces? Because from my understanding, Slavyans and Kramators had the larger share of Ukrainian forces that were basically, I guess, held in reserve in a sense.
5: First of all, it is an important logistical, uh, you know, where uh, trains uh, run right to that point. So it's rather easy to uh, resupply for the Kiev regime forces. Uh, but at this point, it, it is the center point of this uh, second to last defensive line. Um, if Bakhmut uh, is is taken by Russian and Donbas forces, or uh, now I guess there it's all Russian all forces. All Russian forces at this point. Um, Yeah, it, yeah. It, yeah. Um, then then the, that the entire rest of that the, that defensive line uh, would collapse. Uh, Soledar would would be uh, you know uh, impossible to defend at that point. Uh, so it's it's a crucial uh, uh, in that strategic sense, but it's also important because of the amount. The sheer amount of forces that the Kiev regime has invested into holding it—I see—the um, loss of that amount of forces would be—it's significant because there's a significant amount of troops there, and if they're cut off and large numbers of them are forced to surrender and taken prisoners of war, that w- that would be a very significant loss, not only in terms of morale, but but you know even the Kiev regime, with you know, that they've conscripted the entire nation. Even their manpower is not uh,
1: infinite. One last thing. How long would it take the Russians? I mean, how long would it take for the Russians to go on the offensive? I mean, at this point, we're talking about a huge number of reserves and everything else that are being trained and brought into the country. But when would we expect them to take charge?
5: Okay, so, I mean, the the slow grinding offensive, right, has has always continued uh, the encirclements of Bakhmut and uh, Adolf. Daevka, uh, to the south of there. Uh, the encirclement of those two fortress cities, uh, continues slow, methodical, uh, too slow for a lot of people, but it's minimizing casualties on the Russian side. Um, also a small offensive, uh, is now underway in the Kupiansk area at the Oskol River, where Russian forces had uh, previously retreated in the Harukov area. Uh, They seem to be uh, some small uh, counteroffensive there. Russia's taken a number of settlements back there uh, in the recent days. Uh, But if you're talking a large-scale offensive or or counteroffensive, depending on how you look at it, um, I think we're still uh, a, a good more than a month, a month and a half away from that. I would expect to see it in December uh, once the grounds are frozen and a more significant amount of the troops, uh, the reservists that have been called up, have been retrained. Some of them that uh, got out just like a year ago or so have already been filtered into Units uh, to make up for uh, losses uh, and attrition, Uh, but a large number of troops are also being trained uh, in Kherson region and Zaporozhia, well behind the lines. Uh, So uh, they, you know, it's not won't even be a matter then of getting them into the battlefield. They will already be there. Um, and and just need to to move up to the front lines. So that's uh, you know kind of a, a reserve capacity at the moment, uh, and they'll be quickly able to enter the fray once they've they've completed their retraining.
2: Hey, Mark. Mark, um, it's Malika. Just wanted your thoughts on this. Um, is is uh, talking about the dynamic of what's been happening. So on the one hand, um, Ukraine's they're calling to you know, sever diplomatic relations with Iran because of um, you know, the their drones. But at the same time, they're also asking the state of Israel for their you know, help with their air defense systems. Now, what, I guess what, what I'm trying to um, get your thoughts on is that on the one hand, you have Ukraine asking for help from Israel. But on the other hand, you had just on yesterday, Netanyahu was on MSNBC kind of voicing some um, skepticism and saying that, you know, it's possible that those weapons could then be used. Well, basically could end up in the hands of Iran and end up working against Israel. So there is on one hand They want the help from Israel, but then Netanyahu is saying, I don't know about that because it's possible those weapons could end up in the wrong hand and hurt us. What do you think about that?
5: Well, of course, the Kev regime is, is whining because everyone is supposed to provide them with weapons. They're entirely dependent on Western weapons, ammunition, funding, training, intelligence, everything at this point. They're just providing the bodies and uh, from reports on the ground between the CIA, special forces of the U.S. and the European Union, and large numbers, of very unusually large numbers of mercenaries, um, uh, in some cases it's not just Ukrainians doing the dying at this point. Um, so, but everyone and no one's allowed to provide, you know, military assistance capabilities to Russia. And in, in this case, they're talking about these drones, originally of an Iranian design, the Shahed. Um, uh, evidently, classic, Iran has yeah. sold the, yeah, yeah, suicide yeah, drones. they, call suicide, they have. Yeah. Uh, they they have um, evidently uh, been. They Iran has sold the rights and the technology to Russia. Uh, who is locally producing them at this point they've got some evidently some three factories already producing them they can produce up to 50 to 100 of them a day they i've seen various estimates of their costs that, that are quite range but the, the general consensus is they're dirt cheap they can be mass produced and they're fairly effective as the Kiv regime's practical inability uh, to bring them down and the damage they have have caused both to infrastructure, individual targets, and uh, uh, Kiv regime's remaining air defense systems uh, seems to be pretty significant. Uh, When it comes to Israel, I think, uh, you know, Israel is not going to supply Ukraine with their iron dome. First of all, uh, it would not be effective on such large area as the Kib regime needs to defend. It's, it's designed specifically for the tight spaces of um, uh, Israel. Um, and uh, secondly, um, Israel knows very well that if they did that, Russia would turn on the S-300s in Syria. <laughs> uh, they... Uh, R- Russia has provided S-300 air defense systems to Syria, but they're still manned by Russians and they're not allowed to be turned on. They've only been turned on once really? since they've been installed in, in three years. I didn't know and that. that was evidently to fire a warning shot. Oh, I didn't know you'll that. notice, yes, you'll notice that the Israeli government has very quickly disavowed the statements of this diaspora minister who suggested That that, uh, Israel could supply Ukraine. And the the word from the the actual um, uh, uh, spokesperson for the government has said that is his personal opinion. It does not reflect Israeli policy and that Israel will not be arming um, uh, Ukraine, uh, certainly not with air defense. And so that has pretty much put that to bed. But I think that because it was Iran, the Ukraine was attempting to 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 you know bring Israel into it as well because of the animosity uh in the Middle East between uh Iran and Israel, but playing that card uh has proven not to have uh success in this at this time
3: Mark this is Reese um question so while I'm seeing that unlike uh <laughs> President Biden, who I believe we're saying is at about thirty percent approval rating um it seems like Putin's uh, approval rate is really, really high. He's at 83 percent according to um surveys uh recently. Um, and so that means that the people of Russia do support this, but there and there has been a fulfillment of the draft of the three hundred thousand men um that reservist, reservist. Not, a,
5: not a draft. Okay,
3: yeah okay Mil- my my they' There they're
5: they're quite different things even in the u.S, so it, it does matter.
3: Okay. So then are there people, I, I saw something um recently about people that were, you know, still not sure that they wanted to participate in the fighting and that they had, you know, run to other countries and things of that nature. um. But they're still somehow, you know, very much committed to Mother Russia. And, and it, what's your take on that?
5: Yeah. I mean, in any country, there's always people who don't want to be involved in a military conflict. And we have seen twice now large relatively large numbers. We're talking a hundred thousand or so of Russia's pro-Western liberal class. Um, they, they fled the country uh, in February uh, when the intervention, because they thought there would be a mass mobilization. They came back after a while because it was obvious nothing was happening and they fled it again. But almost uh, to a very significant, uh, big degree, those are not the ones who have been called up because they are not the type of people who have already done military service. These are people who fear that if Russia goes through 2 million reservists, that it could begin drawing on the regular population, even though there's already another pool of 25 million who actually have military experience. These are people who are never going to be called up. They would be useless in such a situation. They would only ever be called up if if Russia was being invaded by NATO and and maybe another one or two Big regional countries in the existence of the state, uh, but they're showing their opposition and that their support of the West instead. They, you know, no,
3: and it, you know what? Strangely enough, Mark, the the one story I saw with the the uh, group of men who went to Kazakhstan, um, they actually had their backs to the camera; they didn't want their face shown. Um, and then when they got there, they were performing, I guess, in some type of like Cirque du Soleil or circus-style performance to thank the people of Kazakhstan for opening their doors to them. And so I guess what they're saying is, you know, we're really just not the uh, hard, sturdy, I guess if you've seen the movie 300, they're saying that they're not the the type of men that go to war. They're more of the artistic, soft-at-heart type of guys,
5: and they would never be called up to war. And it, it, it's certainly not in this situation either. And as far as I'm concerned, Russia is better off without them. So they're not going to be missed. The, 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 by far, the large – these people leaving are not the people who have been called up and are not likely to ever be called up. They're not people who have served in the military before. And and this is just, a, as you rightly pointed out, a political theater. Let me ask- um, Russia has has – in Moscow – uh, the political mobiliza the uh, sorry the mobilization has already been completed it's nearly completed around the rest of russia there hasn't been any problems in fact the russian ministry of defense reported that they had another 70,000 volunteers sign up of their own accord and that was already of several weeks ago so um yeah I, there's always people i mean when the us called up their reserves in iraq and afghanistan there were people that fled the country to Canada in the EU and were giving political asylum. That's always the situation when a country goes to war and calls up its reserves. But uh, it is it has been blown far out of proportion by a wishful thinking Western media that really doesn't reflect reality. And that kind of reporting is really not assisting the big picture understanding of what is going on that really politicians and foreign policy elite need a better understanding of what is really happening to make smarter decisions.
1: Well, actually, you know, they put out stuff like that just because it's, you know, it would be like if you were in competition with another country, the other country is going to put out stuff in order to make your other country seem worse. Just the most natural thing in the world in regards to propaganda worse. Um, Mark, one last thing. The energy infrastructure, those quote unquote kamikaze drones, as they like to call them, it's like, of oh, these drones are committing suicide. Help. Horrible the Russians are to force these drones to commit suicide like that. Um, from the standpoint of Kiev, they were saying that certain – there were hits on various points in Kiev with the drones themselves. And also want to get into the electrical infrastructure that has basically been, what, 20 – I mean 30 to 50 percent down in Ukraine as a result of the missile strikes? Yeah,
5: it was 30 uh, percent. Well, the, the Kiev regime said 30 percent already of a couple – as of a couple days ago, the Russian uh, uh, Ministry of Defense reported it was 40 percent. And, and the, the strikes continue. Yeah. The strikes continue. So we're, we're near and on 50% at this point.
1: And so what, they have no defense? I've seen fighter craft trying to shoot down drones, the weirdest looking thing in the world. Is it just they don't have a, a defense for these? I mean, like what's, what is, why are these so effective? And why, yeah.
5: Drones are effective, first of all, because they fly very low and they're very small right they're 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 hard to identify and to hit, and the Kiev regime has practically no air defense left at this point I right see. They started the war with a significant capacity, and it has taken Russia long enough seed suppression. Of of, uh, suppression of enemy air defenses has obviously not been the Russian air force's uh, specialty. Uh, But at this point, it's down to just about nothing, and a trickle of one or two units from Western countries is not going to change that. They they are extremely vulnerable at this point. Hence, all the videos of uh, Kiev regime uh, forces and and everybody and their grandmother leaning out of windows with automatic weapons and shotguns and pistols and everything else firing ridiculously into the air, probably killing a lot more people than the drone was in any regard because it's been firing. But yeah, I mean, there's on both Russian and Ukrainian uh, social media telegram, the, the number of videos of that occurring. It's it's really kind of of, of kind of tragic. Comedy. Wait, you
1: said grandma's hanging out of windows with machine gun shooting in the sky.
5: Well, I mean, I, I yeah, there's one picture that is supposedly grandmother, maybe not grandmother. Uh, Rambo, every,
4: every, right? Yeah, yeah,
5: more more like wannabe Rambo's and and and, uh, and neo Nazis and, and and whatnot. I gotta be but, honest, that's you impressive.
1: Know, I'm, that's impressive. The, the grandma. There, here's another one. Yeah, she just goes out with the gun shooting in the sky. That's hardcore. Wow.
5: Yeah, well, she's probably an A's off grandma. Well, there's that too. <laughs> she might have had training on that.
1: Wow. Mark, always enjoy talking to you, man. I really appreciate it. Mark Sloboda, he's an international relations and security analyst. You can follow Mark on Twitter at Mark Sloboda1. And definitely check out his new YouTube channel, Real Politic with Mark Sloboda excellent channel. If you like his commentary here, you can get him given more detailed information on his own channel. You can also find him on Facebook, facebook.com slash Gramsci. You guys are listening to Fault Lines. My name is Jamal Thomas. We're Reese Everson. Malik Abdul. Back in a moment.
0: Fault Lines Fault Lines
1: live from the divided states of America, precipitously perched at the edge of this resilient and exploited globe. Welcome to your context lens for the American perspective. In the left corner, I'm your ever-vigilant, your indefatigable political analyst, Jamal Thomas. I'm joined with Reese Everson, Malik Abdul. You guys are listening to Fault Lines on Radio Sputnik. Always enjoy talking to Mark. Man, always. Like I said, I could talk to Mark for hours. I love that guy. And he very honest in this appraisal who give you a straight, you know, whether it's good, bad, or somewhere in between. Um, and that's something that we don't necessarily see on mainstream media, which is why I find don't it refreshing. Need
3: those pansies. Yeah.
1: Well, it's not just that. If, if I am, if you and I are at war with each other, <clears throat> it's kind of like the Trump dossier. I'm going to put out stuff that says, oh, look at those guys leaving and fleeing. Those cowards, they're fleeing the military situation. Oh, they don't even want to fight. It's that. And so you get both sides putting out stuff that dings the other side and tries to blow us up. It's like no and difference in Democrats and Republicans. I can
3: that, but in a wartime scenario, and I guess maybe, you know, we are softer than the previous generations. Maybe. I don't want to go.
1: I don't know how many people want to go fight in war, to be honest. Like, meaning, I don't want to fight in war and all things being equal. I think people want to live their lives. I guess the question becomes, though, if you are in a situation. Putin made this point of saying the military situation would have gotten worse, meaning if we wouldn't have done anything, our situation would have gotten worse, meaning we would have always had to respond at some point and we would have respond in a worst case situation where we would have been surrounded, etc. That's his point, right? It's yeah. like you're put in a situation where, OK, do I allow myself to be encircled or do I do something about it? And at any point, as it gets worse and worse and worse, if you wait till the last minute to do something about it, you may not be able to do anything about it at all. And so it's not about, I get that people don't want to fight thousand percent, but if the United States was being surrounded, where let's say Canada and Mexico all of a sudden were knocked over and became Warsaw Pact nations, I guarantee you there would be a mobilization in this country like nobody's business. I mean, the Cuban Missile Crisis in and of itself, they were willing to end the world. And that's just with missiles in Cuba. And by the way, our understanding of that was wrong. We assumed that Khrushchev, Hadn't gotten the missiles there yet. They were already there. We assumed that we could do a strike and the the thing had already went in. If there's a strike immediately, fire. Don't even need to have a conversation about fire. I guess my point is, when your country is being surrounded, they take certain provocative actions to prevent that from being the case. Um, Yeah, I find it to be existential. That's the way I look at it in those terms. And so... You're always going to get a few people leaving. I mean, there were people burning their draft things in Vietnam War. I'm not going to no war. And people fleeing in Canada. Muhammad Ali. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm not fighting no, what you said, white man's war or something like yeah, that. That's right. Yeah. So it happens. There's always going to be a certain number of those. Both sides play that stuff up.
3: But would they really have surround? would Russia really have waken up to being surrounded?
1: They just did. Why do you think they invaded Ukraine? Or why do you think they went in? They are being surrounded. They are being surrounded by NATO nations. I mean, Finland and, what, Sweden trying to be the last one. And those, even though they were in the back facto, they were still basically integrated into the NATO system. And now you have Ukraine, who is literally on the border with Russophobic Nazis in the military itself, killing ethnic Russian Ukrainians over the last few years. I guess my point is, yes, the process of being surrounded was already taking place, despite the fact the West said they weren't going to move an inch to the east. Just pointing it out. Um, but let's get into headlines. In the news, in the news. A jury has acquitted Russian national Igor Danchenko finding him not guilty on four counts of making false statements to the FBI during the Trump-Russia collusion probe. The Sputnik correspondent reported from the courtroom on Tuesday. On Friday, a U.S. federal judge dropped one of five counts against Danchenko, who in November pleaded not guilty to the charges of lying about the FBI and his role in a discredited Steele dossier, which alleged collusion between former U.S. President Donald Trump and the criminal during the 2016 U.S. presidential election. The Tuesday courtroom decision served as yet another blow, another blow, Body blow to special counsel John Durham, who represented the prosecution in the case. The acquittal marks the second case tied to Durham's nearly three and a half year-long investigation, which he has lost. What is the first guy? Klein Smith or something like that? He gets convicted. Sussman, the Clinton lawyer, who's just a good guy, who's just going to the FBI because he is just so cares so much about the nation. Um, He walks, strangely enough, despite the fact that he was connected to the Clinton Foundation. And now you get Danchenko, who never talked in the way that he was being criticized of, but basically wrote a letter to or in detailed messages, meaning there's a difference between apparently talking versus messaging, in which case Danchenko walks. astonishing. Man, what does that mean for Durham? What does that mean for Durham? I mean, this case has been going on three and a half years. And these were already small fries in the whole mix of everything especially if you believe that there was fbi collusion or some kind of let's say political collusion with the fbi and everything else these are just small fries and they walk they walk has durham oh god is this what do they call it um false opposition or something to that effect what was durham's original job and is he actually doing it let's keep going the white house announced on tuesday that U.S. President Joe Biden would, quote, take additional action to strengthen energy security and address the supply crunch and lower costs, unquote, that he calls. Biden says he's ordering the U.S. Department of Energy to issue a notice of sale of 15 million barrels of crude oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve in December, the last of the 180 million barrels he began to introducing into the market in late March following his announcement of the total boycott of Russian energy exports. However, the White House noted that the DOE, would be, quote, ready to move forward with additional significant SPR sales this winter if needed due to Russia or other actions disrupting the global markets, unquote. The White House further noted that it would soon begin the process of refilling the SPR, quote, when prices are at or near 67 to 72 dollars per barrel, unquote. So you're just not going to fill them at all. We're just not going to have a strategic energy reserve. That's basically what you're saying. How, how. Are you going to get prices down to $67 a barrel? How do you do that? And if you do it with the price cap idea, the prices are going to go that much higher. So you're telling me for the foreseeable future, you're just not going to have a strategic energy reserve because you're spending so much of it now because you don't want to deal with the consequences when you go into the election and people blame you for paying that much in energy costs. Good luck with that. I'm very curious on when he's going to refill the strategic energy reserves. If indeed, they're going to wait for $67 to $72 per barrel price. Good luck with that. Let's keep going. Waterkeeper Alliance, a worldwide network of... Environmental organizations focused on clean water recently determined that the majority of U.S. waterways were polluted with cancer-like linked, quote, forever chemicals, unquote. The agency conducted its analysis of U.S. waterways in May, a drew lab this year, taking 228 samples from 114 different rivers and streams across 34 states in the District of Columbia. Researchers found that 83% of the samples were found to have PFAs at a level that exceeded federal limits with 70% of those water sources detecting the most dangerous kinds of chemicals, PFOS, PFOAs. Look, if you have a capitalistic country that doesn't seem to care about a civilian population, and I'll make the case from the standpoint of education, I make that meaning we take advantage of 18, 17-year-olds who basically want to marry to get education, you gotta put fifty thousand dollars on their backs, starting off right off the bat, whether that's healthcare, where many people have to pay all of this money for healthcare, making a choice between drugs versus, let's say, food. Or, for that matter, issues of poverty itself, where we don't necessarily support those kids when they're grown up. Biden tried to give it $300, and Joe Manchin, the Democrat, was like, yeah, I'm I'm not for that. Meaning, in one situation after the next, we seem to care less about the human element within the context of the population and seem to care more about maximization of profit for those that are wealthy. There's something to be said about state ensuring that the water the public is drinking is not full of cancer-causing chemicals. Right off the bat, whether that's lead in Chicago, whether that's lead in Michigan, the idea that you have the shining city on a hill filling its waters with basically cancer-causing chemicals that the people are drinking, is appalling, to put it mildly, on its face. You shouldn't even have to say that. It should be something that is just basically sacrosanct in regards to the government keeping the various people in those countries alive. That's deplorable, and yeah, Completely and entirely believable, considering the other things that are basically left off the table. Let's keep going. The United States welcomes Elon Musk's statement that he will continue to fund Starlink satellite internet service in Ukraine. I'm not sure why he's doing that. Assistant Secretary for European and Eurasian Affairs Ken Donfried said on Tuesday, quote, We have seen Starlink playing great difference for Ukraine, providing that the internet access that we certainly welcome. Elon Musk comments that SpaceX is willing to continue to fund the provision of Starlink to Ukraine, unquote. Don Free told in a briefing, SpaceX CEO Elon Musk recently requested the Defense Department to help pay for Starlink services, which are currently provided to Ukraine, at a loss to the company. Again, it's a capitalistic company. I don't know why you're going to do that. You usually get paid for that. Let's keep going. In international news, the Ukrainian military told Russian security services that Kiev regime has formed police detachments for clearing and filtration of the territories it intends to occupy, a Russian security officer told Sputnik. The official also indicated that training at the courses have started are to be carried out in accordance to the standard and methodology of the U.S. armed forces undertaken in Iraq and Afghanistan. Oh, Jesus. Let's keep a quote. According to information received from a source of the armed services or armed forces of Ukraine, Ukraine's military and political leadership is preparing to regain control over the lost territories. Unquote. The sources said, quote, police training for filtration and clearing of territories is carried out in line with U.S. Army standards for using methodology materials compiled by the U.S. military. Unquote. I'll tell you this. Some of those stories by those troops that came back from Iraq are harrowing kicking down doors, shooting various people who are in those rooms with those people having no power at all in that particular situation with a foreign military basically coming in. Um, do you really trust the Ukrainian military to go into these various ethnic Russian areas, especially since they've been bombing these areas for the last eight years? That is a worrying, worrying report. Israeli Defense Minister Benny Gantz canceled a call with his European or his Ukrainian counterpart, Oleski Reniskov. Without any explanation, Ukrainian ambassador to Israel, well, Yijin Kornichnikov, has said, I think that's right. In interview with local media, the ambassador expressed, quote, deep disappointment, unquote, by Tel Aviv over the move, quote, they did not provide an explanation for the cancellation. Going forward, I don't think our defense minister would be in contact with Gantz. Kornichnikov said, look, Israel has a relationship with Russia, and I'll just leave it at that. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. No country is going to do something that is not going to be in their self-interest, with the exception of Europe. Other countries are not going to do that. Moscow and Ankara have agreed on the creation of a major gas hub, which will enable Europe to use gas flowing through Turkey or Turkey. Turkish president, Recep Erdogan, Erdogan, has announced, quote, Right now, Europe is thinking about how to ensure gas supplies in the coming winter period. We thank God do not have such a problem. Moreover, at our meeting with Putin, or last meeting with Putin, we agreed to create a gas hub in Turkey. As Putin himself announced, Europe can now use Russian gas through Turkey, unquote. Edouard said in a meeting at a ruling of the Justice and Development Party in Parliament on Wednesday. I would imagine he was glowing as he was saying that. Putin brought up the idea of turning Turkey into a hub the delivery of Russian natural gas at the Russian Energy Week Forum last week, saying Moscow could move forward with such plans if the European nations showed interest. Oh, I love this. I love this. I would imagine Erdogan was just, oh, just touching himself in a positive way. I'm not saying anything lewd. I'm just saying he was probably over the moon at this particular. You mean I would have the keys to the gas that's going to Europe? Oh, you had me at hello. You had him at hello. I would imagine he was smiling ear to ear having that conversation. And look, Qatar, his uh, I think it was the energy minister, comes out and says, Europe is screwed, not just for this year, for the foreseeable future. It cannot function without that energy from Russia itself. If this conflict goes away, let's see what happens. I mean, the U.S. blew up the pipelines because I would imagine at some point, they believe that at some point Europe may come to their senses and function on their best interests, which would have been gas. We'll see. It's just interesting. I can imagine Erdogan happy as a lark. Newly surfaced reports have indicated that secret scripts were written by the BBC journalists as part of a routine emergency planning in the event that energy shortages prompt rolling blackouts in the coming winter. During the blackout, mobile phone networks, traffic lights, and internet access will be cut off. According to scripts first seen by The Guardian, the public would be advised to use car radios or battery-powered receivers to listen to broadcasts, which would be aired on FM and long-wave frequencies, which use less power. One script warns people against contacting emergency per- emergency personnel services with this message, quote, the emergency services are under extreme pressure. People are being advised not to contact them unless absolutely necessary. That is great. That is great. You're, man, this is Europe we're talking about. Saudi Arabia is willing to join BRICS South African president, Cyril Ramosi, Ramosha. Um, stated during the meeting with Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman on Monday. The president, who concluded his state visit to the kingdom, underlined that Saudi Arabia joining BRICS would mean a, quote, significant change in the countries that form that bloc unquote. Quote, the BRICS nations are going to be meeting at the summit next year under the chairmanship of South Africa, and the matter is going to be under consideration, unquote, the president said. I keep pointing out, your allies are kicking up their boots with your enemies. That is a problem. Last one. Russia sees no reason to maintain its current diplomatic presence in Western countries and will focus on working with other states. Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov said on Tuesday, quote, There is neither point nor desire to maintain a current presence in Western countries. Our people are working under circumstances which could hardly be considered human. They are faced with constant problems and threatened with physical violence. What is most important is that there is no work to be done since since Europe decided to shut off. From us and stop any economic cooperation, unquote, Lavrov said in a meeting with university graduates admitted into Russia's diplomatic services. This day in history, in nineteen twenty six, Russian Portobor, Portob- ah, have a hard time pronouncing the word Politburo throws out Leon Trotsky and his followers in nineteen forty three, Streptomycin. The first antibiotic remedy for tuberculosis is isolated by researchers at Rutgers University in Piscataway, New Jersey. In 1987, Black Monday, stock markets around the world crash, including Dow Jones stock index, which falls 508.32 points, 22%, four and a half times the previous daily record. In 2015, U.S. scientists from the University of California find evidence of life on Earth may have begun 4.1 billion years ago. 300 million years earlier than previously thought. Those are your headlines. You guys are listening to Fault Lines on Radio Sputnik. Excellent. So let's take a break. We're going to come back. We're going to have a conversation about what's taking place in Palestine right now, Israel. Depending on, I, I suppose, how you look at it. We'll be back in a moment. Fault Lines. My name is Jamal Thomas, Reese Everson, Malik Abdul. Fault Lines. Welcome back to Fault Lines on Radio Sputnik. My name is Jamal Thomas. I'm joined with Reese Everson, Malik Abdul, coming to you live out of our station in Washington, D.C. If you guys just so happen to find yourself in the D.C. area, you can always catch us on radio at 105.5 FM at 1390 AM. You're also kicking around in Kansas City at 102.9 FM and 104.7 FM. If you guys are digging... What we're putting down, whatever platform you're consuming this content on, give us a like, share the audio or video. If you want to join in on the conversation, you can do so with a chat, a tweet, and of course. You can reach us by phone at 202-521-1320. Your engagement helps make this show what it is. Definitely don't be shy. We may get to you at 845, or that matter, 945. I want to bring you to our guests. We're joined with Robert English. He's a journalist, writer, political analyst, and lived and reported from the occupied Palestinian and West bank. Robert, welcome to the show. How are you doing this morning?
6: Thanks for having me back. I'm doing
1: well. No, thank you for joining us. So what is taking place currently? There seems to be some kind of conflict that's going on that is brewing right now. What is the origin of it? Meaning, what has been the latest flare-up that has taken place in Israel and Palestinian territories?
6: Well, uh, we could go back quite some way. I suppose we could track this back. Uh, The real escalation right now is occurring inside the West Bank and to an extent East Jerusalem as well with uh, the formation of new Palestinian armed movements inside the West Bank, which um, are growing in their popularity and in their size, causing a major problem for the uh, Israeli um, and also Palestinian authority security establishment uh, because of their formation. The, in the West Bank, there seems to be the points of escalation at the moment. Uh, areas like Nablus, which is located in the north of the West Bank, uh, is basically on lockdown from all angles. Um, there's two small uh, exits which are going and heading towards the north of the West Bank, which are open. The rest of it is closed. Um, this is because of armed attacks from newly formed armed groups, uh, which interestingly are formed of people between the ages of 18 to 25. Um, that's very significant. Perhaps we could discuss that uh, a bit later. Um, and these armed groups are attempting to uh, liberate Palestinian territory by means of force. Um, and take up the armed struggle again in light of the Palestinian Authority uh, failing to you know, deliver on its uh, promises of a two-state solution. Uh, the PA is coming up now uh, to 30 years in its position as a quasi-governmental uh, uh, organization which operates in some areas of the West Bank. Um, And after five years uh, from its initial formation in 1993, was supposed to have uh, paved the way to a Palestinian independent state with Jerusalem as its capital. Um, The second intifada, which occurred in the early 2000s, was a major speed bump. But since then, the so-called peace talks have not been revived. And the Palestinian Authority is viewed largely by Palestinians as a corrupt entity, which is working on what's called security coordination, With the Israeli side. And so people are taking matters into their own hands. And so far this year in the West Bank, which is not normally the case, more people have been killed there in the West Bank than in the Gaza Strip by Israeli occupation forces. Um, Everything that escalated recently happened after an attack which occurred at the Shuafat refugee uh, camp checkpoint, which is located in East Jerusalem, uh, where a man got out of his car and opened fire on Israeli soldiers, um, killing one and injuring two others. Um, the Israelis were not able to uh, arrest or kill this man. They still haven't captured him to this moment. Um, there's been the emergence of a brand new group in on the 2nd of September in Nablus called uh, the Lion's Den Group, uh, which is uh, much more organized than some of the earlier groups that we saw form like the Janine Brigades uh, back in September of 2021. Um, and it seems like all round we are seeing escalation in the West Bank. Uh, this spread last week to East Jerusalem, where we saw widespread protests, which turned into uh, violent uh, clashes between Palestinians and Israeli uh, occupation forces. And in addition to that, as well, settlers uh, began ed- uh, agitating again at the Sheikh Sharah neighborhood in East Jerusalem, which was the center uh, or one of the centers of conflict uh, during May of 2021 when the war happened uh, between Gaza and Israel. So there's been a massive escalation. I'd say it all stems from what happened in 2021 with the war that uh, took place then in uh, May. Uh, but yeah, we're seeing massive developments.
1: I'm curious. So, okay. So explain this to me. So. There have been multiple groups that are basically sprung out. And those groups are, I guess, looking at the Palestinian Authority saying to to themselves, you're not doing anything, meaning you're not necessarily doing anything to progress our agenda of some kind of liberation for the territory itself. And so the groups have sprung up as a direct result of inaction by the Palestinian Authority. That's what I'm understanding it to be. I mean, I guess, am I explaining that correctly?
6: In in large part, yes, this is the case. Um, There's also the added element that for a long time in the West Bank, the armed struggle was really dormant. A lot of people had referred to the West Bank as being asleep um, and separated from the Gaza Strip. The Gaza Strip (laughs) in of itself has been under siege um, and uh, really economic sanctions from the West since 2006. Uh, Israel reinforced the siege in 2007. And since then, Gaza has been the only place where we see armed struggle uh, as the primary means of uh, opposing Israeli occupation. Whereas um, before in the West Bank, uh, during the time where the PLO uh, had a different formation of these uh, Palestinian security uh, forces, it was later changed by the CIA um, to re-engineer these security forces. In the second intifada in the early... We
2: will get him back. He, he's, yeah. still We're having he's still on. He's still on. It'll be... A tad bit technical difficulties here. Yeah. He'll be back in a few seconds. Um,
1: yeah. This is... <laughs> this conflict, man... It's been going on for so long that if you remember the Biden administration um, was apoplectic over a conversation apparently that – I forget who it was. It was recent where they basically made the point of saying the U.S. wasn't doing anything about um, trying to bring them back together. Like, How dare you say we're not working on both sides to help you guys get together. But just like – Okay, so you're giving one side billions of dollars, all of this high-tech weapon. Keep on this during the Obama administration, when the war was taking place, you had, what, 2,000 Palestinians that were killed by the Israeli forces? And Obama was still giving them weapons, still giving them Iron Dome, still giving them billions of dollars while this is taking place. Don't tell me that there's this kind of honest, even-handed working between the two sides as you're trying to come to some resolution. It's like, oh, we're totally against this. Oh, excellent. Robert. I'm sorry. Please continue.
6: Um, Yeah, so um, uh, I don't know how far you heard into the explanation, which I get, which went more into the Second Intifada and how the Palestinian resistance had laid dormant in the West Bank for a long time. Uh, There were once armed groups which had formed there, but an Israeli operation Uh, which took place in 2002, largely crushed uh, the armed resistance movements in the West Bank um, and and violently put them down. Around 500 people were killed in the matter of a few months. Um, They placed these uh, curfews all throughout the West Bank um, and defeated them, really. And then with the aid of the CIA, Uh, The United States came in and helped to re-engineer the Palestinian security forces of the Palestinian authority uh, so that they would never partake in any acts of resistance against the Israeli occupation again. Uh, The armed groups were all but disbanded. Either those fighters were arrested, killed, or uh, were essentially paid money to stay silent, or were absorbed into the Palestinian security forces, which are collaborating with Israel on many issues. They're trained uh, by Jordan, uh, by the United States, by the British military, uh, for example, and are there basically to protect Israeli security interests. So for a long time in the West Bank, There has been no armed action other than individual acts against the occupation forces, which normally results in the Palestinian being instantly killed before they can even do anything. Um, Now we've seen a a resurgence uh, of uh, armed activity um, in all areas of the West Bank, really, but primarily in the north. Um, And these armed groups are working together. Um, in in many places to uh, launch attacks against the Israeli occupation forces and settlements to the point where we're seeing multiple attacks, shooting attacks a day um, against the Israelis. And this has resulted in uh, the Israeli occupation forces coming in brutally and very heavily uh, against the uh, Palestinians and basically shooting at anything that moves, imposing curfews, um, and locking down the West Bank in an unprecedented manner that we haven't seen since the second intifada in the early 2000s.
2: Hey, Robert, um, it's Malik here. Thanks for joining us. As a follow-up to the question about the disparate fa- disparate factions, you had mentioned, I think, that the um, number of them, or, or maybe one or two, they were um, having groups of men maybe between 18 and 25. Well, a, I guess my first question is, is that the... The Lion's Den group that you were referring to, but particularly about the Lion's Den. Um, who's backing them? Like it's, it's a, you know, a new Palestinian faction. but who's backing him? Is Iran involved?
6: I wouldn't say that Iran is involved in uh, the West Bank. There's no indication of that, not even from uh, Israeli you know, security analysts who are, are talking about it. There is some talk that Hamas is perhaps uh, funding the lion's den. However, none of this is confirmed. It, for sure, there is more organization with the lion's den group than there are, for instance, with the Janine brigades, which uh, these brigades, are they don't have a command and control structure. they You can't track them in any way. You can't defeat them by just killing a leader. Um, it's decentralized, of course, in, in the lion's den. Um, they're a brand new group that has just emerged, um, and they don't affiliate with any political faction. Um, they say that they're not involved in, uh, factional affairs, that their enemy is Israel, um, and that their guns are pointed.
2: Just as a quick follow-up to that, who's funding them? Like, who's giving them the weaponry? Do you, like, do you have any idea of that?
6: So the group is based out of the old city of Nablus City, um, and, and there are weapons that are there. Uh, people smuggle weapons into the West Bank on the regular. Um, there's even been a lot of cases, perhaps not so much now, of Israeli soldiers selling weapons even or weapons being stolen from Israeli military bases. Um, so the weapons that they have, we understand that these are light weapons. They don't have, you know, uh, We haven't seen them use explosives yet or anything of this nature or anything advanced, Um, but they do seem to be more organized and well-trained. And from what uh, we can see, we don't know who has funded them. We know that there's allegations that Hamas have given them a million dollars, which is not that much funding, to be honest, but that's the allegation. Um, But we cannot confirm that. These are Israeli allegations. Um, They are not not, uh, aligned to any faction, the Lion's Den group. That's what they say. Um, And uh, interestingly enough, uh, you mentioned before that they're all 18 to 25. These are young people. Uh, So these are people that don't remember in detail what the Second Intifada did to the collective consciousness of the Palestinian people inside the West Bank. Um, The operations carried out during the Second Intifada by the Israelis crushed uh, the spirit of resistance inside the West Bank to a large extent, either crushed it or bought it out in a a very Machiavellian way. Um, And so uh, what we have seen now is that this younger generation don't care anymore. They don't have fear anymore um, and that they're ready to fight. And they've really been inspired by the fighters in the Gaza Strip. Um, after a strategic victory over the Israelis in May of 2021. Um, So in terms of their funding, we don't actually know yet. We have uh, no clue. We know that they have light weapons, but that's easy to obtain in the West Bank. It's not very difficult. Um, It's more, you know, who is coordinating with them, which is the big question here.
1: Let me ask you this. Why do you think it was a strategic victory in 2021? I'm just curious.
6: It was a strategic victory in that at the end of it, uh, the Palestinian people had risen up throughout the occupied territories. Um, if you look statistically at it, then, of course, Palestinians suffered massive losses, uh, a massive loss of life right. throughout the territories, which uh, is not the equivalent on the Israeli side. But in terms of uh, what you can get out of this situation when you're fighting as the underdog like this, they took the strategic initiative. They surprised the Israelis. They used new munitions. Um, they shut down the country. Basically, they hit all the major airports uh, with rockets, even if these are not effective rockets, um, and were able to uh, you know, impose their will through psychological warfare on the Israelis, which is something strategically which we haven't seen the resistance in Gaza do before in the way that they just did it. Um, it's more the way that they played it. Um, and that they had the element of surprise which made them victors here. And also the fact that they responded to the calls of the people in uh, Al-Aqsa Mosque, which were calling on the resistance to aid them as the holy sites were coming under attack by extremist settlers and the Israeli occupation forces. So in in the minds of Palestinians, despite the fact that the loss of life uh, was so much more than uh, how many israelis were killed in the conflict they scored strategic victories over the israelis um in a way that we haven't really seen before and sort of brought the entire system to its knees um and at the end of the conflict which is not really regular the israelis did not bring in um a massive amount of force as they normally do to end each round in fact Quite quickly when they saw that they did not have the edge on the Palestinian group strategically, they started targeting the high rise in the Gaza Strip, civilian areas uh, in the middle class uh, to target Hamas to try and get uh, pressure placed upon Hamas to have them end the conflict. And that's what the Israelis do strategically to end a conflict with Gaza is depending upon what group they target. Um And they're going after, they'll target their support base and, and kill civilians and bring down uh, buildings in those areas. Um, th- that's why they do it. That's why you'll see this massive loss of civilian life. It's part of the strategy there to do that.
1: I think your point is they're able to impose a cost. It was basically that, that the Palestinians were able to impose a cost on Israeli action for the
4: Aksumat. Yes.
6: And, and a deterrence as well, because in the future, we've seen that the Israelis, unless they want a full-scale conflict, will not strike anything in the Gaza Strip of any importance. Even if they do, let's say somebody fires one rocket over, um, which does nothing, the Israelis will strike an open area and won't kill anyone or a military training site. Um, so they won't want to escalate with the armed resistance movements in the Gaza Strip, which have also another big thing is that they unified. Um, in 2018, they formed what's known as the Joint Room, uh, operation were in between all of the factions there to bring them together. In 2021, we really saw that in action. Um, And so the Israelis are deterred from just bombing Gaza every other day like they used to do. Like if you look at 2017, 2018, and the record of how many times Israel would strike and kill people randomly in Gaza uh, just out of nowhere, um, it would be every other week that they'd bomb the Gaza Strip. That's not the case anymore. So it is viewed that uh, what is called by the armed factions as Seif al-Quds or the Sword of Jerusalem, the Battle of the Sword of Jerusalem, was a. Strategic victory, and this inspired people in the West Bank uh, to rise up. Let me
1: last question, um, because we have to go to Mark. But last question: I want to get into the politics for a moment. You have political parties that are basically, let's say, Arab political parties in the country itself. What what effect do they have? Meaning, what power do they have at their disposal in regards to being in the Knesset itself? And how does that affect what's taking place on the ground in these areas?
6: It has uh, little effect, to be honest, in the uh, occupied territories, Jerusalem, uh, West Bank, and in Gaza. Um, There are small effects on issues that they can have at certain times and and get things out of if there is a new government that's going to be formed, for instance, to pressure them. But uh, all up, they don't have that much power. And the Arab joint list, as it's called um, inside the Israeli Knesset, has been disbanded at this point as well. Um, So it has even less power now. Um, And it's very rare. I mean, the first time an Arab party ever joined the Knesset of the government, uh, the Israeli government, um, was uh, in the last elections, which was basically just any attempt to remove Netanyahu. Wow.
1: (laughs) Wow. Fascinating stuff. We're going to have to get you back um, to talk to you longer about this. Robert, thank you for this. Robert English. He's a journalist, writer, political analyst who's lived in and reported from the occupied territories, Palestinian West Bank. You guys are listening to Fault Lines. My name is Jamal Thomas. I'm here with Reese Everson, Malik Abdul. Back in a moment.
0: Fault Lines. Fault Lines.
1: Welcome back to Fault Lines on Radio Sputnik. My name is Jamal Thomas. I'm joined with Reese Everson, Malik Abdul, coming to you live out of our station in Washington, D.C. And I want to get to our guest, Mark Frost. Mark Frost is an economist, professor, consultant, drummer, Eagle Scout, Marine, capitalist, superdenarian, a recovering libertarian, friend of the show. What's going on, Mark? How are you doing this morning?
7: I'm doing good. It's cold here in North Georgia. And it's cold here, too. I was going to say, define that. What's cold in
3: Georgia,
2: in North Georgia?
3: 67.
7: Gonna laugh at me. It's 31 degrees.
2: Oh, oh no, okay. That's cold. That's cold. That's cold. It's, 30 Eight, it's here. about the same here. So, yeah. so <laughs> i that's you on cold.
3: That. Um, What's your high going to be today, though?
7: Oh, probably 60 or something.
3: Exactly. 67. Yeah. That's what I it's heard. It's about
2: the same here. Yeah. So. It
1: hasn't been too, too bad. Uh, Mark. I'm glad that you could join us. Um, there is all sorts of economic news that is not looking good for Joe Biden. I mean, for one, the overwhelming majority of economists, I think one report, all of them, basically said a recession is coming. You have the public itself who says we're already in a recession by a ma- large majority. And you have people who are basically blaming the Biden administration as he deserved to be um, blamed. And now they're talking about this price cap idea. And they're basically saying we want to get the gas, price of gas around 60 bucks now Look, India, China, Brazil has already said no dice. We're not going to participate in it. Meaning half the world says we're not doing it. You have Rosneft, who's basically decided right here, um, Russian oil may— Oil major Rosneft is expanding his tanker chartering business in a bid to simplify oil deliveries to customers ahead of the EU sanctions, which include a ban on insurance. meaning, OK, fair enough. You guys want to put through this ban stuff? Fair enough. We're going to supply these to people who want it. We're not going to participate in the price thing at all, meaning Russia is like we're not selling our oil and gas to anybody that is going to try to implement a price gap idea, which by definition is going to shoot oil and gas through the roof, especially with Saudi Arabia um, or OPEC plus cutting two million barrels a day. So this seems to be either dead on its face or suicide, basically where they're going to slit their own wrists. You sent me a text and it says, the current U.S. Treasury yield isn't just inverted, which is bad enough. It isn't just heavily inverted, which is worse. It is heavily inverted. And the best forecasting I can do shows it's going to become even more inverted. Explain what that means to us. Meaning for people who don't know what that means, and I think I might be one of them. Give us a basic understanding of what that means in plain English in regards to what it means for us in this country, or for that matter, even in Europe.
7: Sure. Uh, There's something called the yield curve that is very important uh, to almost every macroeconomist that does any sort of forecasting because it's a very strong, what we call, leading indicator. So all the yield curve is, is the vertical axis measures the rate And the horizontal axis measures the different types of maturities of the bonds. It's the same bonds. It's U.S. government bonds, but different maturities. In normal times, just using common sense, if you were going to loan me $1,000 for a day, not that much risk, right? Right. Because you know me. You know kind of how to get a hold of me. If you're going to loan me money for 30 years, you're generally going to want a higher interest rate than if you loan it to me for a day because you're taking more risk.
1: Right. I have to take more time for, to get the money back. So I have to be, I have to be sure that in three years or 30 years, you're still going to exist. <laughs> you're still going to be able to pay the money back and I have to wait longer for it. So I pay more on it.
7: Absolutely. Yes. And so, uh, you know, so, so basically we expect because of, we actually have a law of it in economics, the law of time preference. We assume a time is uh, positive. Time preference is just your willingness and ability to choose future consumption over present consumption. Because of the uncertainty of life, people generally have a positive rate of time preference, which means that the longer the maturity of the bond, the higher the return on that bond needs to be to bribe investors into purchasing those bonds for longer maturities. Well, now it's all flipped. Now, <laughs> now, short-term maturities are the ones that have the higher rates. You can borrow cheaper if you borrow for 30 years. Now, what that, the only explanation for that that makes any sense is that lenders of money and even borrowers of money are so uncertain ab- about the near future. Nobody knows exactly what's going to happen. What's this crazy administration going to do next? you know you know uh i don't even know what to call it anymore is it bidenomics woke economics i mean i don't it's so weird i don't i i literally don't even have a name for it but time preference is the core uh principle of macro macroeconomics um uh, my straw man i love to use in just about everything crackhead bob right <laughs> very very high rate of time preference if you offered crackhead bob a million dollars right now or a billion in a year Crackhead Bob's probably going to take that million, even though it's a giant return, even though it's a thousand fold increase. If he if he waits a year, if he just puts his crack habit on 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 the side, you know, for, you know, for one year, he can do crack for the rest of his life.
3: <laughs> Which is probably a short span anyway, right? I mean, unless your name is by crack for the
7: rest of his life,
3: unless your name is Hunter.
7: <laughs> yeah, Hunter might—Hunter's uh, probably the epitome of that. Uh, maybe we should have Hunter on and have him talk about that. Oh, we'd
1: love to have him on. Yeah, He's more than welcome to come on to the show. We have all sorts of questions. <laughs> but but I, I guess that's a side thought. What's
3: the longevity of a lifespan of a person? Yeah.
1: So, so it, okay, so the idea is that the curves are inverted. Under normal circumstances, in short term, you expect less. In long term, you expect more. But right now, the people who are basically doing short-term lending are basically expecting a higher premium on it than long-term.
7: It's literally saying, markets are literally saying, we don't even know if, the earth's go- we don't even know if people are going to be around in 30 years. Maybe there's going to be Armageddon, like Biden said.
1: So basically, we don't want to take the risk of long-term, so short-term is what we're putting our money into.
7: There's a meteor coming to the earth, and we know it's coming. We know the earth's going to end. How many people are going to be checking their 401ks?
1: Yeah. Wow. So the market is basically weirded out.
7: To a lesser degree, but that's the concept of what is disrupting financial markets right now. When yield curves, curves get inverted, almost always you see recessions and depressions follow. And that's the danger of it. And this administration just keeps going on and on and on and on to the point where I've given up being astonished by them anymore. I mean, I have to believe they at least have one real economist on their staff that raises their hand and says, this doesn't make any sense. Maybe not, but this isn't like secret PhD level principles of economics that, you know, only people, you know, that have studied eight years. know. this is something most people get after they have finished intermediate macroeconomics. Yeah.
1: Economics. What are
7: nothing fancy, nothing deep. So, I
1: mean, what would they do about it? Like, let's say there was an economist on staff and they can read the tea leaves and they could say to themselves, OK, Mr. President, it looks this looks bad. I mean, what is the expectation of the administration to do in this moment? I mean, yeah, he can say, OK, we're going to stop this nonsense, in Ukraine. But all things being equal, the Biden administration is not going to do that. So what is the expectation here that they can do to basically hit this off or do something about it in order to stable the markets?
7: I can tell you what I would advise them to do if I was there. I mean, given the mess that they've made, there's not that many choices now of how to dig your way out of it. But I can tell you what I would tell them. I would tell them to uh, put up their uh, copies of Animal Farm in 1984, quit gaslighting people, admit that we're in a recession, admit that we're on the verge of it becoming a depression, given all these leading indicators. And that inflation needs to be fought. The Fed's already doing it. It's pretty clear to me they're purposely trying to throw people out of work. And there's no other way to fight it. So if you want to fight inflation, you have to do that. But you can use redistributive policies. Or that will not be inflationary because of the one-two punch between the Treasury and the Fed fighting inflation. You can target the most vulnerable members of society that are likely to suffer the worst from uh, from the fight on inflation, and you can help them, but i don't think Democrats can do that anymore they used when I was a kid, Democrats wanted to help crackhead bob they wanted to help people that fell through the cracks today they want to help rich people right I mean Democrats want to help me Let's be blunt I mean. It's, it's a strange, strange party now. I don't understand it. I mean, how, I mean. with The Republican Party, don't get me wrong. But, but the modern Democratic Party is freaking me out. I, that's just you.
1: <laughs> yeah, to put it mildly, how do you dance between the raindrops with that? Meaning, in one sense, the Fed is trying to throw people out of work and is trying to make people poorer in this moment. By the same token, how do you, like, I guess, how do you maneuver between that in the sense of, okay, we're trying to help the least. While simultaneously, they're still throwing people out of work. Meaning, how do you get both policies at once in that situation? It seems like if you're trying to distract, meaning if I give money to somebody who's poor, they're going to spend it. Like, oftentimes, if if you give money to people who need it, you're going to get like 100% return because they're buying food, groceries. Basically, they're paying the bills and those type of things. They don't necessarily have the money to put into the bank for it. They're spending it. Which means that the money that you give them by definition is going to be... You know is is isn't it going to be inflationary by definition because they're using that in order to buy stuff as opposed to money given to the rich where they put it in the bank, which means it's like yes, you can tax the rich to try to get some of that money out of the economy and everything else, but all things being equal, it seems that the objective is to basically make people, especially at the bottom, poorer, or am I misunderstanding that
7: whether it's the objective or not, it is the impact because what inflation hammers the most is the lower middle class right. and and the working poor because. If you have some money, you can actually prosper during periods of inflation. Absolutely. If you work for a living, if 95% of your income comes from work, you're in trouble because you know, because here's the problem. Inflation doesn't happen overnight. It's a process that can happen over, say, 18 months. So the first links in the chain of anything... Usually, win the last links in the chain are the losers. So the first links in the chain are 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 the banks. They win because the the very concept of the Fed tightening money means they get guaranteed windfall profits. It's guaranteed. They don't take any risk. All they have to do is just is just press (laughs) yes on their keyboard and and accept the Fed's offer. They have less liquidity now because because they just bought something from the Fed and. And because they have less liquidity, they loan less money out because they have less money to loan out. Now businesses uh, don't have uh, as cheap of access to, to uh, loans. Uh, now because they don't have as cheap of access to loans, the, the, requ- the required return on any given project has to increase because there has to be an inflation premium, that sort of thing. So what I'm talking about is it isn't going to fix it because the only way to fix this is to reduce the Federal Reserve's balance sheet to its pre-pandemic levels. And that's going to require some pain. There's no way around it. It would be like if we all shared a house together and one of us burned it down. There's no ideal solution anymore. There's only an optimal solution. And there are going to be people who fall through even my, my advice to help. But I'm not talking about helping people that make $50,000 a year. I'm talking about helping people that are thrown out of work at minimum wage. And I don't want to just write him a check. There's things that we can do in this country that can put people to work in a dignified, meaningful manner, especially in emergencies.
8: Hey, Mark,
2: it's it's Malik here. A uh, question for you. I don't know if you saw over the weekend Joe Biden's comment comments as he was eating ice cream at a Baskin Robbins in Oregon. (laughs) But that's when he talked about not really being concerned about the strength of the U.S. dollar. And he also also essentially said inflation is bad all over the world. And it's not just it's not so bad here. So it's bad everywhere else here. It's okay. And many people pointed out that we're living during a year in which the S&P is down more than 25% this year. And with um, the recent CNN poll saying that 78% of Americans believe that the economy is poor, what do you think about how Biden, just from a public perception, is navigating this? Because clearly he is on one end of the spectrum and the American people are on the other end, and he seems to have convinced himself that what he's saying is even believable. What do you even think about that?
7: That's a good question. Slightly out of my wheelhouse, but I'll give it a stab.
3: Before you answer it, Mark, I just want to point out that there's an article written in the Alzheimer's Association uh, um, weekly or monthly that talks about the power of ice cream for people with dementia. I just want to throw (laughs) that out there for Malik. I think Malik wrote it, I but you go you can it.
2: tie you can tie your response to what you were saying as far as like the Democratic Party's position when it comes to the economy. So it doesn't have to just be on Biden. It's Biden is articulating, for all intents and purposes, the Democratic position and how they've handled this when it comes to the economy.
7: Well, I will say this about the mainstream media, and it drives me crazy. They, I scan the channels because I try not to watch just one channel when I'm going to watch you know television news. Right. Smart, because then you have a you know, then you end up, you know, having an echo chamber. I think it was MSNBC, and they were talking about what a great job Biden has done because of the strength of the U.S. dollar. I literally almost spit my coffee at <laughs> uh comment to the commentator, uh, literally out loud, because I was just thinking, you idiot, do you not, The the strong dollar is nuking the rest of the world's economies. It's literally nuking it. China just announced just two days ago that they were going to float the yuan for a while. Everybody is suffering because of this strong dollar, and there's only one reason we have a strong dollar, and that's because of the central bank's tight money policies right now. They decided that the biggest biggest threat was inflation, not unemployment. So that's that's something a central bank has to decide, because what is economics? It's the science of tragic choices. And if you and if you value A, by definition, the opportunity cost is B. Yeah, Have your cake, you need it, too. There's no free lunch. That's the that's that's economics in a nutshell. And so what bothers me about this administration isn't that I disagree with them economics wise. That's not unusual. Right. What bothers me is they seem to not know what they're doing and it doesn't instill confidence in the citizenry. I don't know about you. Do you feel confident in this administration? Oh, no. I mean, but do you feel like there's even one person that cares about, you know, everyday Joe?
3: In their ability to name the 31 flavors, perhaps.
1: <laughs> I think your point is Jake. that during, let's say, an FDR administration, that they would have bought all of these people who basically are going to lose their jobs as a direct result of the Fed and what basically Biden's policies, they would put them on the work thing, meaning the federal government could create jobs and say, we're going to put these people. On the payroll for these jobs. But I don't get the sense that the Biden administration is ever going to even consider something like that.
9: Because
7: because this administration, and it's strange, this administration doesn't seem to care that much about poor working people. And that doesn't necessarily mean you're broke. A poor working person, sometimes they own their own business. There's a there's a sandwich shop. It's a barbecue shop. But they don't even have an inside seating that I go to. It's owned by a husband and a wife. And I don't think they're super wealthy. They own their own business. They're part of the working poor. Just because you have a business doesn't mean that you're Elon Musk. That's
1: right. Yeah, you can be barely making ends meet with that business and just keeping the lights on. Um, I had a friend in New York like that. He owned this coffee shop, awesome coffee shop, um, play music on the weekends, jazz. He would come up and play his guitar. Great place. And yet, he was like, if the coffee machine breaks, we're out of business. It was that close. Like, the margins were basically that close. And so, no, to your point, uh, Mark. And, yeah, to your other point, I mean, the Fed is going to take certain actions, like you said, that's going to put hundreds of thousands of people out of work. The federal government has the ability to create jobs. Even if it needs to pay people for those jobs and take a pay cut, meaning take a deficit on that, they can do that. The Biden administration, that is not in his wheelhouse. That is not in the way that he's thinking. The last time I heard Biden talk, he said something like the American public is just going to have to deal with these prices for the foreseeable future for Ukraine. I mean, very clearly, like, I don't care what happens to the American public.
7: Drives me crazy because I'm sick and tired of hearing that about the pandemic. It's there, that used to be the, mm-hmm. the pandemic. Like, like if you if you stubbed your toe, well, we're pandemic in the a- pandemic, did it? You know, and now it just, you know, and now they've switched from that to Ukraine. The Ukraine in and of itself is not a massive supply shock for the United States. It just isn't. And let's talk about that. If I was on, if I had Biden's ear, yeah. let's say that, that they hire me as a consultant and they say, uh, Vladimir Putin is the devil. We have to beat Russia. How do we do it? I'm going to say, okay, get out of Ukraine, go back to the Trump energy policies, drive the price of oil way down, become self-sufficient again, and then we don't have to worry about it. But we're actually benefiting the people we claim we're trying to retard their efforts. Yes. I mean, we might as well write a check to Russia if, if that's the goal is to stop Russia, which is something I've grown up with my whole life that has always annoyed me. It's just, you know, it goes back to a book I read in 1973 by Ralph Epperson, which basically said the whole threat of the Soviet Union was exaggerated.
1: Of course it was. I mean, even the missile, it's like, oh, the missile gap, the missile gap. They were making that stuff up in order to get elected and make them be able to support the weapons industry.
7: You know, we have a mineshaft gap. And then dumb things like, for instance, The the caves that they've dug out in the ground for the for the petroleum for the national petroleum reserve. Right. Biden's ceremonial announcements. He's going to drain some more of that. Does nothing. It's a hiccup. Midday in the price in the in the oil future markets.
1: Well, he's just trying to keep that down for the election, Mark. He just doesn't want to deal with some of that, Mark. Mark Frost, economist, professor, drummer, consultant, Eagle Scout, Marine, capitalist, and recovering libertarian. You can follow Mark on Twitter at Frosty Cash. You guys are listening to Fault Lines. My name is Jamal Thomas, Reese Everson, Malik Abdul. Back for the last hour
0: in a moment. Fault Lines. Fault Lines
1: live from the divided states of America, precipitously perched at the edge of this resilient and exploited globe. Welcome to your context lens for the American perspective. In the left corner, I'm your ever-vigilant, your indefatigable political analyst, Jamar Thomas. I'm joined with Reese Everson, Malik Abdul. You guys are listening to the Fault Lines on Radio Sputnik. You know what? There's something that Mark said that I absolutely love. This idea that, look, if people go in hard times, the federal government has the ability to create jobs for those people to do. OK, we need to create an industry to beautify the country. OK, we're going to have good jobs that are going to pay $15 an hour. That's what we're going to do as a government. We're going to hire people um, to get us through this period. That's not on the list. That's not on the agenda. Biden is not thinking twice about it. They're going to do what they're going to do, and they're going to lose all of these jobs in the process based on Biden's frankly, geopolitical policy.
2: He's going to willing for us to suffer over that. I, 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 I have a different thought on that. As a, so, as a Republican, yes. I thought you'd be like, get out of here, we're yeah, not creating so, any jobs. Yeah. Definitely during the era of um, FDR, FDR yeah. with the New Deal, you know, there was a lot of infrastructure projects, the That's roads, right. you know, many, you know, there were many government agencies we're like build that, FJ, that came out of that. Yeah. I think we're at a different point when our country, as far as the government's role mm-hmm. in creating jobs, so the government Itself doesn't create jobs. What it does is a good example of that is through the infrastructure bill. It create it it funds incentivize. projects that incentivizes incentivize job growth. Let's so, cut out the middle man. Yeah, so, but a- but it probably is not going to go back to the federal government itself. And I say that because I know that there is a downside to that, particularly I even um, imagine like here in Washington, D.C., yeah. Marion Barry, uh, oh, the God. former mayor, <laughs> um, <laughs> right. he used D.C. government as essentially an employment agency, right. and it became overbloated, unmanageable. Look, I'm not and- saying
1: that there are negative consequences. I'm saying in a process where you're going to get all of these people who are losing their jobs, and if you indeed want to
2: incentivize people getting $15 an hour, meaning if Joe Biden himself wants to incentivize $15 an hour, create the jobs that do it. Well, we could do, I, I think we can do a lot around infrastructure and unfortunately, even the bills that they passed. I mean, a billion, 5 billion, 10 billion that's not even enough. Right. If you think of the conditions of our roads yeah. and bridges it's like, around like, let's the build the our country, roads,
1: let's build our bridges, let's build our infrastructure, need, let's make like sure people get free internet
2: across um, the Many, 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 the thing. many, many billions in order to do With
1: that. With $31 trillion oh, dollars in debt. Are you telling it. me that, like... God man, it's so aggravating. We're spend, not hurting for money. You spend $31 trillion on nonsense. Yes. nonsense. And you look around and you think to
2: yourself, it's like I spend a million dollars and then I go home and my house is trash. And, and we can have a Congress that, that can approve almost what 60 billion now going to Ukraine. Yes. But when it comes to an infrastructure, oh, we, bill, can't, we can't we're do that. limited to about 1.3 tr- to be billion. One point three trillion. It's to be modest.
1: Like the same with Congress. A, billion, a
3: million dollars living in an apartment.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's like, where where's my money? What did I use? What did I use this for? I win the lottery, and I'm still living in this trash park. It becomes that. $31 trillion. God, every time I, I hear the that lottery, number, it's I'm living aggravating. On the road. <laughs> yeah, I'm just on the road. I, I made all this money as a rapper, now I'm living on the road. I have no idea where the money went. It's that. It's just an aggravating thing. You mean your people are drinking lead? Yes. Your people are drinking water with cancerous chemicals in it? Yes. Your roads are trash? Yes. Your bridges are falling? Yes. $31 trillion.
2: Where did it go? Yep. Where did it go? And we're not going to protest in the streets about it. That's the problem. We're leaving now.
3: I am, but that, you know.
2: Headlines.
1: we going s- to do it. All right. Yeah, headlines. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sorry. I, it, that number, That no, every time I, I hear I, that I'll number. Protest.
3: I'll protest, Malik. Yeah. I'll protest. And in domestic news, a U.S. jury has acquitted Russian national. Igor Danchenko, finding him not guilty on all four counts of making false statements to the FBI during the Trump Russia collusion probe. A Sputnik correspondent reported from the courtroom on Tuesday. On Friday, a U.S. federal judge dropped one of five counts against Danchenko, who in November pleaded not guilty to the charge of lying to the FBI about his role in the discredited Steele dossier, which allegedly co- which alleged collusion between former U.S. President Donald Trump and the Kremlin during the 2016 U.S. presidential election. This Tuesday, courtroom decisions served as yet another blow to special counsel John Durham, who represented the co- prosecution in the case, the acquittal marks the second case tied to Durham's nearly three point three and a half year long investigation, which he has lost. The White House announced on Tuesday that U.S. President Joe Biden would take additional action to strengthen energy security, address the supply crunch and lower costs. Biden said he was ordering the U.S. Department of Energy to issue a notice of sale for 15 million barrels of crude oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, SPR, in December, the last of the 180 million barrels he began introducing to the oil markets in in late March, following his announcement of a total boycott of Russian energy exports. However, the White House noted that the Department of Energy would be ready to move forward with additional significant SPR sales this winter, if needed, due to Russian or other actions disrupting global markets. The White House further noted that it would soon begin the process of refilling the SPR when prices are at or below about $67 or $72 per barrel. But with OPEC crunching their numbers down $2 million a day, We don't know when that will happen. The Waterkeeper Alliance, a worldwide network of environmental organizations focusing on clean water, recently determined that the majority of United States waterways were polluted with cancer-linked forever chemicals. The agency conducted its analysis of U.S. waterways in May and July of this year, taking 228 samples from 114 different rivers and streams across 34 states and the District of Columbia. Researchers found that 83% of the samples were found to have PFAs at levels that were exceeding the federal limits, with 70% of those water sources detecting the most dangerous kind of chemicals, PFOs and PFOAs. This needs an overhaul. The United States welcomes Elon Musk's statement that he will continue to fund the Starlink satellite internet service in Ukraine, according to Assistant Secretary for European and Eurasian Affairs, Karen Doddfried, on Tuesday. We have seen Starlink playing great difference for Ukraine, providing that internet access, and we certainly welcome Elon Musk's comments that SpaceX is willing to continue to fund the provision of Starlink to Ukraine. John Free told a briefing. SpaceX CEO Musk recently requested the Defense Department to help pay for the Starlink services, which are currently providing provided to Ukraine at a loss to his company. Ooh, tax break and a handout. Go ahead, Mr. Musk. Talk about socialism. In
1: international
3: <laughs> hey, news. <Socialist. laughs> He's a private. The guy's a billionaire. Socialism. In international news, he's the biggest welfare queen in, of all. I feel you, I feel you. The Ukrainian military told the Russian security services that the Kiev regime has formed police detachments for clearing and filtration at territories it intends, it intends to occupy. A Russian security service officer told Sputnik. The official also indicated that training at courses that have started are to be carried out according to the standards and methodology of the U.S. armed forces undertaken in Iraq and Afghanistan. According to information received from a source in the armed forces of Ukraine, Ukraine's military and political leadership is preparing to regain control over the lost territories, the source said. Police training for filtration and clearing of territories is carried out in line with U.S. Army standards using methodology, methodology materials compiled by the U.S. military. Israeli Defense Minister Benny Gantz canceled a call with his Ukrainian counterpart, Olesky Reznikov, without any explanation. Ukrainian Ambassador to Israel, Yevgen. Kornichuk has said in an interview with local media, the ambassador expressed deep disappointment by Tel Aviv over the move. They did not provide an explanation for the cancellation. Going forward, I don't think our defense minister will be in contact with Gantz, Kornichuk said. Moscow and Ankara have agreed on the creation of a major gas hub, which will enable Europe to use Russian gas flowing through Turkey. Turkish Prime Minister, Prime, uh, President Recep, I'm sorry, Recep Tayyip Erdogan has announced, right now, Europe is thinking about how to ensure gas supplies in the coming winter period. We thank God we do not have such a problem. Moreover, at our last meeting with Putin, we agri- we agreed to create a gas hub in Turkey. As Putin himself announced, Europe can use Russian gas through Turkey. Erdogan said in a, at a meeting of the ruling Justice and Development Party in Parliament on Wednesday. Putin brought up the idea of turning Turkey into a hub for the delivery of Russian natural gas at the Russian Energy Week forum last week, saying Moscow could move forward with such plans if Europe's nation sh- showed interest. Newly surfaced reports have indicated that secret scripts were written by BBC journalists as part of the routine emergency planning in the event of energy shortages prompting rolling blackouts in the coming winter. During a blackout, mobile phone networks, traffic lights, and internet access would be cut off. According to the script seen first by The Guardian, the public would be advised to use car radios or battery-powered receivers to listen to the broadcast, which would be aired on FM and long-wave frequencies, frequencies which use less power. One script warns people against contacting emergency personnel services with this message. The emergency services are under extreme pressure. People are being advised not to contact them unless absolutely necessary. Because during a blackout, if your mobile phone and traffic lights don't work, I'm sure that there will be many instances of it being absolutely necessary to contact the police. Russia sees no reason to maintain its current diplomatic presence in Western countries and will focus more on working with other states, according to Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lorov on Tuesday. There is neither point nor desire to maintain the current presence in Western countries. Our people are working under circumstances which could hardly be considered humane. They are faced with constant problems and threatened with physical violence, What is most important is that there is no work to do, since Europe decided to shut off from us and stop any economic cooperation, Loderov said at the meeting, with university graduates admitted to Russia's diplomatic service. Saudi Arabia is willing to join BRICS, South African President Cyril Ramposas stated after meeting with Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman on Monday. The president who concluded his state visit to the kingdom underlined that Saudi Arabia joining BRICS would mean a significant change in the countries that form the bloc. The BRICS nations are going to be meeting in a summit next year under the chairship of South Africa. And that matter is going to be under consideration, the president said. On this day in history in 1926, Russian Politburo throws out Leon Trotsky and his followers. In 1943, streptomycin, the first antibiotic remedy for tuberculosis, is isolated by researchers at Rutgers University in New Jersey. In 1987, Black Monday, the stock markets around the world crashed, including the Dow Jones stock index, which falls 508 32 points, or 22%, four and a half times the previous daily record. In 2015, U.S. scientists from the University of California find evidence of life on Earth may have began 4.1 billion years ago, 300 million years earlier than previously thought. Well, that's fascinating. And those are your headlines for Wednesday, October the 19th. And you are listening to Fault Lines on Radio Sputnik.
4: Right
1: on. All right. So we're going to take a break for a moment. Yes, I've got my coat on. It's cold in here. Um, We're going to take a break for a moment. And we're going to come back. We're going to talk about the Igor Danchenko case with the one and only Ed Martin. We haven't been able to get Martin on for a while, so. It's good that we got You guys are listening to Fault Lines. My name is Jamal Thomas. Reese Everson, Malik Abdul, back in a moment.
0: Fault Lines. Fault Lines.
1: Welcome back to Fault Lines on Radio Sputnik. My name is Jamal Thomas. I'm joined with Reese Everson, Malik Abdul, coming to you live out of our station in Washington, D.C., If you guys just so happen to find yourself in the D.C. area, you can catch us on radio at 105.5 FM at 1390 AM. We're also kicking around in Kansas City at 102.9 FM and 104.7 FM. If you guys are digging what we're putting down, whatever platform you're consuming this content on, give us a like, share that audio or video. If you want to join in on the conversation, you can do so with a chat, a tweet, and of course, you can reach us by phone at 202-521-1320. Your engagement helps make this show what it is. Definitely don't be shy. And I want to go back to the story that we were talking about a bit earlier. The primary source for the Steele dossier, Danchenko, he was basically on trial. And apparently this morning, he was acquitted. Danchenko walks, which means the Johns Durham case. He was able to convict one, I believe Klein Smith was the guy's name, Sussman, the one who basically wandered into the FBI. Oh, I'm just here as a concerned citizen about this. Well, He wasn't just a concerned citizen. He was working for Clint um, as a lawyer. He walked. And now Danchenko, one count was thrown out. The other four was apparently basically um, dismissed by the jury. One's in court. Have a conversation about it. We're joined by Ed Martin. He's president of Philip Shafley Eagles and political commentator. Ed, how are you doing this morning? And what is your take on this? Danchenko walks. What does it
4: mean?
8: Well, I'm doing great. Thank you. Good to be with you and good to listen. I was on the phone listening to you guys. I appreciate your voices. Uh, look, I mean, what what, it, what I would say it is, is proof that John Durham's efforts have been a failure. I, I, you know, I don't know what else to say. I, you know, when you're a federal prosecutor and you bring cases like, uh, like anything, to be honest, you, you're, you're supposed to win them. And I, I don't know how, uh, you know, uh, as someone, as someone pointed out, the the recent trial that he lost in um uh, in the district of Columbia and the federal court down there, you know, that one complaint and I would echo that is you really can't, the DC jury is really tough to draw a a diverse jury, meaning that you would have moderates, conservatives, liberals, all different flavors. This was, this was in Northern Virginia. So there was a better chance for the, uh, for the, the, the the jury to be more uh, likely to be, you know, what we expect. So I think terms of failure. um, I think, I do think that one of the realities of these kinds of cases in, in this case is time has been an enemy of this uh, in the sense that nobody really understands or cares anymore what happened. I mean, I know the grassroots or maybe conservative pundits do and maybe liberal pundits do, but the truth is that it's like Mueller. Mueller went for months and months, a year and a half. By the time it was over, half the country believed something happened, half the country believed nothing happened. And when he put in his report, both sides stayed the same place, right? So in this case, uh, I, I don't know what to make of it. We now have factual evidence, you know, in the in the trial and in some of the pleadings that there were FBI offering an informant a million dollars. I've never heard, by the way, if the FBI offers a million dollars somewhat frequently, I don't mean to be glib. I just but that's if this is what they're doing. You know, I do know that they spend close to 50 million dollars on informants and you have to at a certain point, you have to say, do you get what you pay for? Meaning if you pay a lot, you'll get somebody to say anything you want, I think so. it's it's a mess. Um, And I think that Durham's failure is another reason you will see extra energy out of the Republican Congress next January looking at the FBI, looking at the DOJ. Um, And for those of us that want a safer America, a saner America with limited intrusion by prosecutors, it may be the perfect storm because Republicans will want to pressure the Democrat DOJ, Democrat-controlled DOJ, where usually Republicans roll over to the DOJ and roll over to the FBI. So I, we got to do something to change the dynamic. That's what I, when I thought, when this was over, I thought, well, the courts aren't going to hold these people accountable. Well, who else can hold them accountable and try to get reform?
2: Yeah, I, I think you make an excellent point, And I've said many times before that if anything, the, the Republicans controlling the House and maybe even the Senate, they will open investigation after investigation after investigation. Now, what comes out of it? We don't know. But I think the Danchenko, the, um, you know, and and we made the point earlier that one, the judge on Friday or Thursday or Friday of last week dropped one of the counts because he said that there just wasn't enough evidence there. And then you have the jury come back and um, Bacon basically let him walk free on all of the accounts. But for me, when I was thinking about this, Ed, it made me think about just how, large or just how widespread this entire investigation, because we know it. So Carter Page, um, the information with Carter Page was used for the FISA warrant. But before you even got to Carter Page, that was George Papadopoulos. And George Papadopoulos particularly, and I'll say this, I think he was one of the the many people around Donald Trump who should not have been. Um, There were a number, and I know this just by people who were working with the campaign, Donald Trump was having trouble finding people to work in his administration, and he had a lot of people around him who should not have been. And Papadopoulos was running his mouth. And and that's what his problem was. But he had, it was a similar thing. But even in the case of, you know, um, Flynn and some of the others who were ultimately charged and even convicted, it was about lying to the FBI. So it's just so interesting. Well, it's not even interesting to me. It's not surprising that Danchenko, that the federal government, and to your point about the federal government, if you're going to, if the federal government is bringing a case against you, it's because they know that they can win it. They didn't win it in this case. And there are so many different layers to it where people were prosecuted, but then in other cases, they weren't. But this has been a total mess. And I I agree with you. I don't think we're seeing the end of it, especially come January 5th or 6th, whichever day the new Congress is sworn in.
8: Yeah, I mean, a couple of observations. You said a lot there. One is back in the campaign, I, I was very familiar. I was close to the, so a lot of the campaigns, uh, you know, when, when there's an open primary, you're kind of talking to everybody about the issues we care about when you're in a position like I am. And and I agree with what you're saying, except I would say this. Any of the non-well-funded campaigns, the campaigns that had all the experts were Jeb Bush and because mm-hmm. they had hundreds of millions of dollars. And when, and when Trump wasn't paying money to hire these people, you're right. He got this cast of, of characters. Here's the wrinkle. They're U.S. citizens. And effectively, they got ground up. He was winning. And you know, I, you, you brought up there's a famous case in the 1980s. Uh, the labor secretary for Reagan is named Ray Donovan. Ray Donovan finished his case. He was acquitted of, of uh, corruption charges based on his uh, uh, construction business. And when he was done, he was on the steps of the courthouse and he famously was asked, How do you feel? And he said, Which office do I go to to pick up my reputation? I mean, you know, these people have their lives destroyed by a system that ground them up. And now, my second point on your comment. Here's the danger. Yes, it is true that Republicans, by the way, they will win the House and the Senate. It's it's a landslide like we haven't seen since 94. And by 94, I don't mean 1994. I mean 1894. We can talk about that in a minute. But So when you have a Republican Congress, guys, the real problem is you'll get grandstanding Republicans who want to bang on the desk and yell about Benghazi, as an example, and do nothing, right? Bang on the desk and yell about FBI abuse and do nothing. What we need is to marshal the forces of distrust by Republicans and a sitting Democrat DOJ and get protections for we the people going forward, more transparency, more real uh, reform of these people and the actions, because let's do it this way. If you think they abused Hillary with the investigation, and it was Comey was announcing things when he shouldn't, Comey was doing things wrong, whatever, I happen to think Comey did everything wrong every time. Or it's. Think that the Mueller investigation was too far as a Republican. There should be unity in the fact that we have a real problem of the power of law enforcement in this country destroying citizens and targeting citizens in ways that don't make sense to us. I'm not defending anybody that did anything that they should be held accountable for. I am saying that we're losing confidence that the people in charge of that are are, are being systematic in a way that is correct and honorable under the Constitution. So I I hope we'll see real reform. My fear is we'll see grandstanding. Fox News will have sound bites and make Jim Jordan a hero. I I don't need another damn hero. I need real change in the FBI. I don't need to hear Merrick Garland. Merrick Garland will be pumped out, by the way. When they lose, Merrick Garland will be moved out. And you'll either have Lisa Monaco or Sally Yates be the new, you know, a woman, Attorney General Biden will do that shtick. And then they'll be going after people. I don't need Sally Yates being um, uh, thoughtful on CNN. I need real reform of her department, period.
2: And that, and that is the difference. And that is such an excellent point. And you're, you're where I am with this. I need reforms, I don't need payback.
8: Right, right, right. And well, and the other thing is, I, I want to tell you guys, I have a dream. I know you're going to go laugh at that and you give me grief, but I have a dream that this pre- the next Trump presidency, his next term, he actually will be so angry with what happened that he will reduce the power of the federal government. Because imagine instead of paying back everybody, he said, you know what? I'm just going to make it so you can't do this ever again. And I'm going to sign executive orders that say you're not allowed to do FISA applications without running it by. And, and even if he can't get the laws passed because Congress turns out to be typically feckless, he could do it in ways that make the next president have to reverse written uh, orders that say, I don't bring another example, guys, that the president of the United States should not be able to wage wars. This is Madison did it. Everybody said that. And for 50 years, we've had a situation where Congress says, well, we don't want to have to vote on wars. We don't care what the war powers that they don't want the trouble. They don't want the bad votes.
1: Right. Congress completely abrogates their responsibility for the issue of wars. I went to the president himself. So it's his responsibility to do X, Y. And then they don't even call it a war. I mean, you get these kind of foreign engagements where they're basically shooting missiles and whatnot. oh, well, it's not a war. it's not a war. Congress hasn't declared.
8: And, and a new and a president that would change the course of our nation would say something to Congress like, you want to you want to see a war? Uh, send me that send me a, a, a resolution, and I'll go do that. Otherwise, the American people know the Constitution and they don't want it. Can you imagine, guys, that would unite like a Ron Paul crew, Tulsi Gabbard crew, the far left, and by the way, Everybody under 30 doesn't know what the heck we're doing in Iraq. They don't know what the heck we were doing in Afghanistan. And they're looking up saying, You're spending trillions and I can't buy gas because my economy's upside down for, for wars I don't want to fight. I, I think it would be both popular and have the redeeming quality of being. What the Constitution says.
2: And you know what, Ed, one of those reforms that really needs to, they need to, and, and you raised the question, and I asked it too, and I wasn't being flippant about it. You know, if our federal government has at its disposal a million dollars that it is willing to give to someone to, in order to prove
4: yeah, something is still. true,
2: like something about, to me, that sounds like something that needs to be reformed.
1: Um, There's something something massively problematic about that. I mean, you're telling for a shaky. there's a million bucks if you can prove what you're saying is true. Think about that. I'll offer you this much money if you can tell me that the information you've provided us that we've paid you for over the course of this time is actually true.
2: Paid informants, that's a thing. Like, that is a thing, paid informants. I mean, we know that governments and law enforcement agencies, they have paid informants. We're talking about giving someone a million dollars in order to prove something that was already shake, on iffy, shaky ground. You know they paid him
1: for that information already. Meaning, I'm giving you money for something. Okay, thank you for it. Okay, now I'm coming back to you. Hey, I'll give you a million dollars if you can prove what I just, what you just gave me. And with
2: Danchenko, sure, you lied. Yeah, but we're still gonna pay you. <laughs> twenty twenty.
8: Yeah, I, look, I, I think, I, and, and, and guys, you know. Well and the old saw, it's so easy, you know. The Lord acting, you know, power corrupts, absolute power corrupts. absolutely. Yeah. One of the problems with the secrecy and the and the power of the FBI and others is they they've, they've gotten drunk on the power and they and they and they you know a lot of us would have said ten years ago I probably would have I think I would have I would have said maybe twenty would have said, you know what, if guy's an FBI agent, gal's an FBI agent, they're, they're the highest quality. These are people of integrity, of seriousness. You know, you know they're going to do their job. Now we, we are reminded they're human, right? And they're human. And when they have power and absolute power, we end up with this massive corruption. And again, it would be one thing if it was, okay, we got a couple hundred extra, extra agents. No, we have the NSA and, and we have the technology snooping in all of our lives. Right. So it, it becomes very easy to say, just find me the person and I'll find the crime. Because every American that that files taxes, right. you know, yeah. and they can say, oh, what's that right there? Or everybody who goes on the highway and goes too fast to break a law. My point is there's a, there's a part of this where our system was was working because we had limits on it. And right now, because of secrecy and, and, and lack of transparency, it's like, guys, I go back to it. It's like Ukraine. Whatever the reason why we sent $50 billion, it's now known. Nobody watched the money. So at least half of it's missing. Yeah. Eight billion dollars. Right. We spent a couple of trillion dollars in
3: Afghanistan and Iraq for what? Trillion.
1: Well, seven, what? Seven trillion in Iraq?
3: every day for 20 years. Yeah.
1: Seven trillion in Iraq or eight trillion, how much ever they call it. So in another two trillion in Afghanistan.
3: I mean,
8: that's
1: astonishing sums of money.
3: Right. And
8: then when someone says, well, what, what's inflation really bad? Why is inflation really bad? What happened? The answer is you spent too much money borrowing it and now we have to pay it. I mean, so and, and again, the point here is that if you want reform, you have to create the political environment, in my opinion, that gives us the best uh, path for interest that will otherwise default towards power. You know, I said six months ago that the Republicans would win the House because I saw one thing. On a Wednesday night in a, in a in a work week in the U.S. Uh, in D.C. that, that uh, Kevin McCarthy raised nine million dollars, and I, said, you know what? I know what that means. K Street's buying real estate. K, you know the lobbyists are buying real estate in the in Speaker's office. That's how you know. So now you say, okay, but what do you? How do you set up the dynamic? Hopefully, Kevin McCarthy, Speaker, is going to be having to listen to the conservatives. The new members who want real reform, and then the wild card over the top is Trump's going to be running for president. So what Trump asks for is going to be something McCarthy has to do, also, or has to at least react to. And so you, you're, you, we have a we need to create the space where. And one thing I'll tell you guys that really pisses me off. I'm sorry to be blunt. Is they used to used to be able to count on liberals, real good old fashioned liberals, uh, to be good on civil liberties, and and they're just gone.
1: Not anymore. Uh-uh. Not anymore. <laughs> A, C, Not anymore.
8: When all these groups are gone, and you, so you're like you're waiting for Dershowitz, and now they make Dershowitz sound like a right wing, you know, uh, uh, zealot, a Zionist. So I, I, it's um, we got to create these interests where enough people will be demanding uh, the change, and then and then you can get some courageous people to step up. We'll see. We'll see if it happens.
1: Let me ask hey. you this: so, Is that the end of Durham's case at this point? I mean, this idea of being able to squeeze one witness to get to somebody else higher up—it sounds like the end of it.
8: Yeah, I think, well, again, because it's all secret, you know, another damn, another stupid special counsel that we have no idea what the heck it means. I think you're right. I don't know where he goes. Uh, I don't know whether we hear an announcement like, you know, next Tuesday that I'm folding up shop. Um, I imagine when, uh, with, with, with the reality of even with a special counsel inside the department of justice, you know, he's the U S attorney in Connecticut still, I think, you know, that the pressure is to, to get, uh, you know, I'm sure to get out of that, so he can get on with the regular, you know, work. They wanted to disappear. I don't know if we'll hear that, though. I don't know. There may still be things that they're, but it, I don't think it's moving on up. To your point, I don't think it's, uh, I don't think it's obvious that it's going to get somebody bigger or something. Now, again, even he would be waiting now until um, after the election. I mean, he got the trial date set, but he wouldn't announce anything by tradition uh, until after the election. So maybe there'll be something in late November, December as a sort of wrap up cases, but I don't know what it would be. I agree with you to be over.
3: So Ed, what's next for Danchenko? What do you see next for him? Is he writing a tell all book? What's going on here?
8: Yeah, I think he finds his, I, I, I don't, I have to admit something. I don't know his background, um, whether he came to that position with some sort of uh, academic credentials or something, but um, I suspect he'll find the space to be, you know, lionized within, you know, on the, on the left or the center left. And they'll say, Oh wow, write a book on this or whatever. Now he may just disappear in terms of that may not even be helpful for him, but I, I don't know. Um, I don't know what would, I, it feels like he's not a character that the left you, you know, in the media uses as much. I don't know if it's a clean um, because they'd have to talk about some of the actual details of it. Even if he wasn't convicted, they still have to end up talking about sort of sorted details. So, uh he may just fade away a bit i mean you know again i not to get on a soapbox uh, you watch these people like john brennan an admitted liar you know an admitted liar to the senate brought it out to say things definitively that he knows true you know if you just shake your head and say how does this how 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 can people that have any sense of uh, of of decency do this and yet here we are so i guess i can't predict on uh on uh goes next
2: so so Ed, so so you're saying that um Danchenko the media won't use him like a Michael Avenatti? Are you <laughs> <laughs> who who they were saying should run for president? Are you saying that?
3: <laughs> Isn't he locked up now?
2: Uh is he still locked up? I bet he was, yeah.
8: He sure. got convicted. Yeah,
2: yeah, he's still locked up.
3: Yeah. yeah. Oh look,
8: guys, I I'll tell you the good news for the media is on the the day after the election in November, I suspect there'll be champagne uh uh, breakfasts all over manhattan as the uh executives of the cable news networks realize trump's going to run and they're going to have trump 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 to talk about and try to get their get their uh, ad revenues and digital subscriptions up because uh it it, you know to your point you watch cnn they've let some people go I, i often tell people they let somebody go some of it's money i mean some of those people were highly paid that they're letting go it's it's a matter of being able to trade out somebody who's making you know six figures and pay somebody you know, five figures. And and so, but I I do think that the media is searching for meaning. And, uh, you know, what happens if if Elon does get um, Twitter finalized? Does Twitter let Trump back on? I got to think it does. And then that's a free for all. Um, And then the cable news picks up with Trump, Trump, Trump all the time. And I would bet by Christmas, guys, I'll keep making news, that they will indict uh, Donald Trump, uh, either probably in federal court in Virginia or D.C., um, and you know, the, the, the attorney general of, of New York will also do so probably, but she's, her case is less uh, interesting. I
3: think. Well, it's civil. It's not even a criminal case.
8: Yeah, that's right. Exactly. That's it. But she will, she'll find, she might find something to <laughs> who knows, but,
3: uh, we'll go on
8: and on and on. And for the next two years and maybe six years, it'll be Trump, Trump, Trump all the time. I'm, I'm tired already. I mean, I, you guys know, I love Trump. I love his policies, but I'm exhausted. Trump exhaustion syndrome has always been more Troubling to me than Trump derangement syndrome. You know, you can see TDS from a mile away. TES is more uh, uh, is more more of a an energy uh, uh, drain.
2: You know what? So one of the things that concerns me at is we're we're living at a time where we're so politicized that we're willing to allow or just kind of stand by and say nothing when our systems, when our government, our law enforcement, when they're, when they're being weaponized. And we're not willing to call it out because if it's if it's happening to a Democrat, Republicans won't say anything. Um, If it happens, you know, in the same thing that happens in the reverse, when at the end of the day, as you said, even talking about Danchenko, like we're all American people. And so our governments shouldn't be used in that way. I said the same thing. And of course, you know, as as a Republican, I got a lot of pushback when I was trying to say, hey, you may not like Donald Trump, but you can't tell me. That something is not wrong or or nefarious. There is nothing nefarious about the federal agent showing up to raid his estate. And as of today, the sense of not the sense of urgency, the urgency that warranted them showing up at Donald Trump's door, we still have nothing. Out of that. And it was such a national security threat where they had to literally raid his estate. It's okay. We should be able to say whether it's a Republican or Republican president or a Democrat president that you know what, this smells fishy and we don't support it. But we're living in a political climate where it's kind of like every if if you are a conservative, and I will say there are some Democrats who express concerns about it, but for the most part, the Democratic Party and the left and the media. Which is, is essentially an extension of the Democratic Party, they just shrugged. And I think we're setting precedents that unfortunately, years from now, we'll come to regret.
8: Yeah, I mean, I think so. I mean, I, I just would describe it as, um, you know, the, the old Reagan saw was uh, the phrase was trust and verify. My mantra is distrust and verify. I mean, I, I think at this point, the country doesn't trust uh, what they're told, they don't trust what they're seeing. A lot of us. By the way, you know, just talk about elections. There's all this polling out now that uh, a bunch of independents, a bunch of Democrats don't trust the election results either, right? They worry about the systems, the systems. And again, it doesn't matter what is actually true. Us and we want to work on it. What matters is how people are feeling about a system. America's always we have always had a sort of confidence in our systems based on the Constitution, and the rule of law, imperfect at every turn, but confidence that, that it would get right and it could be made right. Now you feel like the system is manipulated and it is he or she who has power uh, who is in charge. And while that may have been true in the past, we could all joke and say, you know, did you really think it wasn't? But there was a sense that it was more even. And now, uh, as you point out, the operating thing is we don't trust them. And, and they don't explain themselves. They're offended, to have to explain themselves. And so how do you balance transparency and the requirement that we restore trust by giving some accountability to what we're doing with real no oh, um, necessary safety and security. I mean, you know, we, we don't want to publish our our, our a business shouldn't have to publish its trade secrets or have them stolen by the Chinese. And we don't want our government to, to give away sort of our operating system for some of our serious stuff. But right now, we're, as you point out, we're we're looking up and going, they're not even bothering to justify it. They don't look fair.
2: Hey Ed, um, I don't know if you saw. I mean, we actually talked about it earlier. Um, the new, the polling that's out there, but one of one of the polls um, was the New York Times siena poll that in September, and I want to get your thoughts on this. Um, in September, the Democrats had an eighteen point advantage with independent women. Well, I'm sorry, with independent was it independent women? I think that was it independent yeah, women voters. independent women. Yeah, independent women voters. In October. That shift, now Republicans have a 14-point advantage. Within a month, it literally switched. What do you, because I agree with you, we're definitely going to take the House. I'll, 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 I'll concede to your point that the Senate is a possibility, especially with, um, because most people really aren't talking about, um, lack, lack I can't think of his name, this um, Senate candidate in...
9: Laxalt,
8: yeah. La-
2: Laxalt, like he's actually leading. And that will be a pickup.
9: No,
8: no. I mean, look, I, the polls have been lying for years now. And I just tell you the quick example. In 2016, I had been chairman of the Missouri Republican Party in uh, 13 to 15. And I was doing a round of interviews in the, literally the two days before the election. And I was in New York City, actually, on the day before the election. And, I, um, and they were saying, oh, yeah, Missouri, where you're from? And it looks like it's closely Tightening up. It's tightening up. Uh, Trump only by three. And I said, yeah, look, I know Missouri. I, it's going to be a lot more than that. And they said, what do you think it'll be? I said, 15. And they said, "Oh, that's crazy talk." He won by nineteen, right? Oh, wow! The polls, the pollsters have been lying for three cycles, and and they do it in such a way. I think they think the old the old way was you lie about it in a direction and you try to to get um to get people to think that way. People want to be on the winning side, so if you hear, "Oh, it's going like this," I well, you know, I'm, I'm going to hang in there. Uh, what's happened now is there as it gets closer to the election, they have to get more honest because they'll never get hired again, and so they're suddenly uh, getting honest and. All of the fundamentals. I'm not talking about the fringe issues. And they're my issues. I'm, an ab- I'm a pro-life guy. I, I hate abortion. So it's my issue a lot. But it's a fringe issue in an election like this. The election is all about how it feels totally wrong. The gas prices, the inflation prices, a president who continually stumbles, uh, you know, a president using the word Armageddon. Mm-hmm. Think that that scared people to say, ah, let me give your party more trust. You know, when you have a party, a dominated January 6th select committee, where they talk about all this stuff and they talk about how the election, there were thousands of people that were worried about the election. Do they think that gives confidence to the voters? No. So I I just think all the fundamentals, they they keep trying fear tactics, abortion. They're going to arrest doctors. They tried that. And, you know, it's like, what are you talking about? Nobody. I don't meet anyone. I'm a pro-life guy. I don't meet anyone that's talking about abortion as a top 10 issue. They're talking about all these other schools, parents. And here's, here's, guys, here's where there's an interesting problem for the Democrats. The party in power is always running up against the headwinds because people say blame them for everything. And there's a lot of real problems. But the media likes to chase clicks. And so in the last 24 hours, I don't know if you guys have seen this, there's been these horrendous uh, drag queen story hour videos of a woman talking about actual sex and things to kids. What? Yes. Yeah, so, so the media chases clicks, and they know that when they play that, they'll get outrage. And it'll be passed around, and they'll make money, and and they'll also get some people that say, "Why are you being so uptight and all that?" Right? And that, that's and so the, as they chase clicks, they exacerbate sense in the country that what the hell are you doing? Like, and and why are you not? You know, in in Virginia, the Commonwealth where I live, the a state delegate said if people if parents dispute their minor, minor child's preference on gender. They can be charged with a felony. She said, a delegate said, I'm gonna file a bill, Democrat delegate, to do this. Well, you can imagine. She, she's, a, she's an idiot, and she's probably brainstorming and probably trying to run. She, she, she gave, a, Pelosi likes her. She gave the, Hispanic, the Spanish uh, response to Trump a few years ago. So she's playing politics in her little space. But the country we looked up and said, what? You're gonna put parents in jail? If their kid comes home and says, you know, my kid comes home every other day and says he he wants to be a fireman or wants to drop out of high school or whatever, right? I mean, and you say, go to your room and do your study, you know, and eat, eat your macaroni and cheese, and they're going to put parents in jail for something like that. That kind of hot button pop is driving people crazy, and I think the Democrats and the media don't realize you're sort of exacerbating the wave. If I was a Democrat, I'd want the election to be today. Because if you get five more weeks of this, four more weeks of this, I guess three, this is going. I'm telling you, guys, it's going to be like we haven't seen in a very long time. Look, you you remember? It
3: sounds. I I think what you're living in is is this fanciful world. I'm almost tuned. I'm almost inclined to play. uh, What's the name of that song? Uh, It comes on Willy Wonka, where it's like a wonderful world or something. But. I think when you talk about the things that Joe Biden is saying and doing and stumbling and all of that stuff and even the things that he's saying, even if you you compare some of the worst things that Joe Biden has done or said, I still think Trump out horribles him by a thousand percent. I mean, I I don't really have a better term right now, but there's no way in heck that they're going to let people forget the things that Donald Trump has said and done. And I think, yeah, it might be not helpful that they're using the government to go into someone's home not and violate.
2: <laughs> it's more than not it, it, it's, helpful.
3: It's, a, it's, it's question, you know, it's not how we would like our government to be run. I, I will go with you on that one. But there's no way that we allow ourselves to forget some of the things that he said and done.
2: They haven't let us forget.
1: Just I mean they, they had did. the January 6th Commission and they wouldn't <laughs> shut up about it for the last several years. Trump has been out of office three years and they're and still screaming about on January social 6th. Media.
2: And by and, the way, and look they're so they're so obsessed with Trump that the only thing that they can do now is post from his tr- truth what he said on his truth social account. Look, I agree with Reese Trump is abominable by the same
1: token. The problem here is when you look at what are you concerned about? Inflation, economy, and jobs. The Democrats are talking about January 6th, women's rights and
2: environmental change. They don't even have voter suppression on there. Remember, it was. Yeah, that's not even on the list to be a thing.
1: (laughs) I guess my point is, Reese, I agree with you. thousand percent. Trump is utterly horrendous. But Biden has gotten us into wars. Biden is basically North Korea is firing missiles again. You have the situation where. Um, Biden gets us into the issue with Ukraine. I mean, even the pullout He's of Afghanistan. About
2: nuclear He's talking Yeah, talking about
1: Armageddon. He's talking about militarily defending Taiwan. Trump didn't even go that far. I mean, I, as bad as Trump is, Biden has done stuff in this term that is shocking. And that has undermined American power around the world, even the perception of American power around the world. Europe, for God's sake, is being eaten alive.
2: Trump didn't do any of that stuff. Trump didn't go over to Saudi Arabia in his first
4: visit. Yes. And, and Beguisa, <laughs> to the father.
2: I just need oil. For God's
1: sake. I'm going to talk to your father. Oil.
2: I won't even talk. I'm going to talk to yeah. your dad first.
1: I mean, like, as, look, I am one of those people that think Trump is utterly disastrous. And this idea of him trying to overthrow the government. I'm not even talking about January 6th. I'm just talking about this kind of Green Bay sweep and all this other nonsense of secondary electors by the same token. We are not in additional war today, meaning the issue of Ukraine. Inflation wasn't going through the roof. Afghanistan wasn't a mess. Yes, all those people died from COVID under Trump. More people died under Biden. Uh,
8: Look, I get the- Trump's not president. (laughs) I get the, yeah. uh, Please, Ed, go for it. Well, that's all. This is all a great conversation for uh, 2024. What I'm talking, what I know is elections. And and, uh, that's what we watch closely. And in an election- People try to say, bring Trump in. They try to say, you know, Trump this, Trump that. That's not how voters work right now. I mean, that's not how they work ever. It's like, uh, and so it's, um, it's all about who's got power now and what they're voting on. Now, as soon as the election's over and Trump runs, that'll start that whole conversation. I, I, I By the way, I disagree with all of you. <laughs> Fair enough.
3: Tell us about this uh, election that you were comparing it to in 18... 1894,
8: 1894 was, uh, they had an economic, massive economic failure in 1893. Uh, Democrats were in power, and so that election was 110 net Republicans. Whoa, purely based. Now remember, 1894. Very little, uh, you know, the media was all, right, you know, newspapers at the time, and so the but the, but the feeling was you were in this massive, uh, close to a, a depression, fast, and the blame went to one party, and it was all economics. It was not, um, you know, it was so, and just I just think that's the kind of cycle we're in. Um, and back to my point. When you when you know politics and the late Phyllis Schlafly, for whom I worked, used to say one of the most important things she did was run for office and lose, which I also did. And you, because you learn, if you win, you think you're a genius. All these idiots that win, they think they're going to run for president. And they're going to they're, they're smart. You learn a lot about how people work and what a cycle means, what cycle you're in. I ran for Congress in 2010 and almost beat Dick Gephardt's district. There was a guy named Carnahan. I just it was the right cycle, and I was a good candidate, but it was the right cycle. I ran in 2012. When Obama was up for re-election, I was the attorney general nominee, but Obama was the top of the ticket, and the bottom fell out on all of us, right? I mean, so it's when you run, right now and in an off-year election like we're in, with the heightened attention and the speed of clicks, you just have growing uh, a sensibility that the Democrats are to blame. And no matter how hard you yell abortion or Trump, you won't change that part of it. I As soon as the election's over and we're talking about 2024, sure, it'll be a Trump conversation. But for now, it's all about, hey, the economy's gone in the tank. And, and let's be fair. When we say we spent trillions in the last three years, Republicans did too.
4: Yeah, mm-hmm. of course.
8: A price. That's not who's going to pay a price this November. They're going to say, Biden got these massive spendings, And what happened? Nothing happened
2: for me. That's how they feel. You can make a debate on what's coming next. Can I just ask one last question for you? Um, uh, Wisconsin. Now, we know back in August and earlier, there was all of this noise. Ron Johnson is hurting. Ron Johnson, Mandela Barnes, Mandela Barnes. I was telling people at the time, look, Ron Johnson is going to win. Well, first of all, do you agree with me that he's going to win? And if so, like, what do you think the margin will be? Because I think that it's going to be pretty decisive.
8: Well, here's the thing, guys. Again, it's the cycle you're in. What, what, and so Johnson did two things. Has done two things right. One, he's a really good, pretty good retail politician at home. He's got good constituent services. If you go up and ask there, and that's how people. Wisconsin's got a tradition of that. They have people. They they don't want their guys out of touch. And so one, he's done that well. And two, you remember he got a lot of attention. And you can disagree with him, but he got a lot of attention for pushing back on the the government's role in COVID. And it put him in a position where he was. Sort of against Trump for a bit, Mm -hmm. against Biden, and that's a good. It was a good. Turned out to be a good spot to be in. So yeah, I look. You know, he wins. He's been winning, and you hear it now. Everybody knows he's winning, and I think he wins by three or four or five. I don't think he wins by much more than that. The question is, does his brand pull across the governor? The governor, you know, governor of Wisconsin. uh, That race wasn't supposed to be close because the incumbent is a pretty good politician too, and and has been smart and uh, ever's. Uh, but the, the last day or so, you've seen this, uh, the challenger, I think it's Michelle, is that how you pronounce it? Mm-hmm. He, was, he, won, he won a tough primary and had a lot of uh, Trump backing. So people thought, oh, he's a drag. Um, but it looks like he, again, if you're in the right cycle, you, 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 can, get, you can do better than you might expect. I think he's gonna, they're in a real tight fight. We'll see if he can, uh, he can win that. If, if Johnson wins by four or five, the governor uh, comes across the line. If Johnson wins by two or three then the, the governor uh, race may stay Democrat. I will see.
1: Interesting. Ed, always appreciate you joining us, man. Really good conversation. Ed Martin, president of Philip Shapley Eagles and political commentator. Um, let's do this. Let's go into guests. I mean, not guests, but callers. let's go into callers. So the number is 202-521-1320. That is 202-521-1320. Interesting interview. I mean, interesting conversation. He's like, I disagree with all of you. Fair enough, right?
3: Yeah, no, he lives in the world. I, the song I was trying to reference, in a world of pure imagination. Yeah. Yes, that's where Ed is living right now. I, no way. Absolutely I mean, right. I got
1: to be honest, though. Is he wrong? Like, when you're looking at Trump, I thousand percent agree with you. Donald Trump is appalling. I mean, it, it, and whether I agree with this, first, um, first what is it? Um, uh, What is
4: it called? First uh, step back?
1: No, the the first um, impeachment nonsense. Mm -hmm. Second one earned earned from my standpoint. Donald Trump tried to overthrow the election. It's that very clear to me. It's not about the January 6th stuff. I don't think believe those people would have ever thrown over or prevented them from doing it. It's what he was doing behind the scenes that was trying to gum up the works. In regards, we're going to have fifty senators, you know, disagree with the election or whatever. Or we're going to have um, alternate electors. I'm going to call Georgia to get them to basically, you know, try to find these votes from
2: somewhere that doesn't exist. the question was that did that um, warrant impeachment? So I think that's the precedent that we set. I would say yes, and I would say when Mitch McConnell gave
1: that speech, Mitch McConnell should have came to the conclusion of yes, Donald Trump should be impeached. But fair enough, he doesn't get impeached. It's over with. Biden comes in office. He is horrendous across the board, meaning you're paying more money for food, more money for gas. All of that stuff is the direct result of Joe Biden when he was pulling those troops out of Afghanistan. It was a cluster. You know what? I mean, even in response to the idea of North Korea where, okay, we're going to resume those things and North Korea start firing missiles. Does this feel like a safer world for you with Biden? And the answer is affirmatively no, definitively so. I, I mean think we even have this Mark from New York. Yeah, real quick. Even this conversation about nuclear weapons. This wasn't done with Trump. I mean, however bad you want to think Trump is, I'm sorry. I think Biden is worse. Um, Mark, New York. Am I wrong on this? Am I crazy? What's going on?
9: Hi Jamal, good morning. I wish I could speak as quickly as you guys are. I'm trying to keep up. But uh, I just wanted to say, your last guest uh, was very interesting What he posited about the uh, cycles of elections. Uh,
1: yes, and he's right about that. I agree. Like when Obama was coming in, it was a wave election for Democrats.
9: Mm-hmm. H- however, I wanted to bring up the topic, bring back what your earlier guest, uh, Mark Foss. Uh, thought. Yeah. talks about economics, and he he posited that, or at least you did, Jamal, that Or we could just have the federal government hire the unemployed, the laid off part of labor from the private sector or from all sectors impacted by high inflation rates. That will not happen. And that's contrary to what will take place because the federal government, when we're talking about deficit and, and the federal deficit being the deficit being $23 trillion or actually $31 trillion, um, that's an accumulative debt of budget that of overspending, by as he said, as your other guest um, uh, said, of spending over the years of both, both both administrations. Right. And the sad part about this is also the cycle of accumulation of debt and spending that started from two thousand eight under quantitative easing. Okay. So the the point I wanted to make in regards to this layoff and this the attempt to crush labor that that's not the answer. That is the traditional argument that the capitalist, and in the examination of how we look at the economics of our country, is why we don't understand that that's not, we go to the well of conservative thinking on how you're supposed to have follow the narrative. What do we do when we have a crisis economically? That is not what we need to do. We're not looking at the increased profit margins that the corporations have enjoyed. Mm-hmm. The fact that they have servicely spent as well as the government spending into the military, which is the majority part of the budget deficits that occur every mm-hmm. year and accumulated since the Republicans, since George Bush went into Iraq and so forth. That is the debt we're talking along with the quantity that helped to save the bank. And so what they're going to do is throw in to thrust this burden want to socialize it onto the people that's right. why it's not just raising it's like layoffs layoffs that's what you got to do they're not telling no we need to cut down the profits, and we need, and, the, and they are going to the monetary squeeze with the interest rate increases to take out the liquidity to take out all this floating money right short-term interest rates that's why the inversion curve has occurred to allow to stop the speculative notions of what the corporations are doing and buying back their shots at cheap prices, as well as cashing out um, billionaires and all the guys cashing out so they can get out of the party. They know what's happening. And then you get calamitous judgment by Biden, and he walked into a bad situation, but he created it. Yes. He exacerbated the problem because of lack of diplomacy. He just bluster and the idiot that he is. Yes. That part is that we can't lionize. Uh, Donald Trump in this case. Oh, I'm not lying, as in Donald Trump.
1: I'm just pointing out that Trump didn't do that stuff. Like, meaning, if you put in a situation where you have two positions of the world, you have one guy that is calamitous, is corrupt, and yeah, tried to overthrow the government, and the other guy, that increased the amount that you're paying for fuel, food, you've created a situation where your country is positioned at war, meaning... You're in conflict with a nuclear-powered nation, and you continue to push this forward. You're eating through Europe, which is your main um, people who are basically backing you up. What's taking place with Europe today? All of that stuff is directly related to Joe Biden's policies. Trump didn't do any of that. doesn't mean lionizing Trump. I consider him you know, a buffoon. But at the same token, how am I to regard Biden in this situation with the situation he's created? What I'm
9: saying is duopoly. In the situation we're facing, the tragedy is that we are so dumbed down in this problem of two-party system. That doesn't work. Both of them are serving one master. Agreed. thousand oh.
1: percent agreed. I'm just saying right now the president that's in office is creating all sorts of difficulties and problems for this country. That's all I'm pointing out. Mark, thank you for this brave we'll gift for you tomorrow. Look, I want to thank our producers. I want to thank um, our engineer, Reese Everson, Malik Abdul. My name is Jamal Thomas. I want to thank all our callers, our listeners, radio or online. You guys are listening to the Fault Lines, Radio Sputnik, Over the Hump, Back in the morning. Have a good one, guys. Fault
0: lines.